You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Eight kids from this block alone died from drugs last year. All of them under 15. Nobody's writing about it. Nobody cares. Writing a story, you're my man. What do you want to know? What did you say to that woman? Nothing important. Here's the latest candidate, John Gilligan. Ask us some questions. That reporter is a liability. Can't you nail him? No proof. You writing about the bad guys? There's just one bad guy, I'm after. It's the one who's up way past his bedside. Could the murders be drug related? Can't believe everything you hear, Miss Kerry. If you saw those kids in the street, you would do the same. Not if those people shooting at me, I wouldn't. You've been to my home. Maybe it's time I visited yours. Ah! <laughs> you gonna stop this now? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Above the Title, a podcast about the career of Colin Farrell and the changing state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Cole. I'm Connor. I think this is the first time in like three weeks we've remembered to do the introduction. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) At least of our names. Does my voice sound weird to you? No. Okay. I, I, I have very bad allergies at the moment. Oh, yeah. I just cannot. I, I can't comprehend how I sound. No, you sound fine. Gang, Connor has allergies and I am feeling a little sick. This is going to be somehow an even lower energy episode than The Recruit. <laughs> an episode I think we both fell asleep recording. <laughs> I think our lowest one was uh, American Outlaws. We're, yeah. we're kind of high energy on that one. We're just annoyed. That's the one where I am like in like a deep Novocaine <laughs> yeah. thrall at the moment. Yeah. The recruit though, where we're, I mean, you can listen to it. You've listened to it. Did you listen to it yet? I actually haven't. I was going to listen yeah. to it tomorrow. Yeah. Scintillating conversation. Yes. Welcome to above the title. This is a Colin Farrell podcast. This is probably not going to be much of a Colin Farrell podcast this week though, because this week we are talking about what I am 99% sure is the only cameo appearance he has ever made in his entire career, unless you count Brendan Gleeson's Saturday Night Live episode from a few months ago. Oh, yeah. If I forgot remember about that. that. Yeah, yeah, it was cute. Uh, we are talking about the 2003 Joel Schumacher biopic, Veronica Guerin. Yay. <laughs> I, I, I like this movie. You do. I don't. You've watched yeah. it twice now. For this podcast, I don't get it. And I, yeah. Oh, really? I don't get it, um, man. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm not in love with it. I just, I've had a, I, maybe I just haven't thought too much about it. But at both times I've seen it, I, I've been engaged and had a good time. As good a time as you could have about like a woman getting brutally attacked by organized crime in Dublin. I don't think that's true, though. I think there's a better time you could have than this snooze fest. No, no, I I agree with that, that it's not the best time. I'm just saying I didn't have like an awful time. 
watching it. Man, I mean, I'm like that awful time. It's just, I wanted, I wanted to do this movie for two reasons. Because I, when we were planning out this podcast, I kind of put my foot down and I was like, I think we should do Veronica Garrett. And I guess there were actually four reasons three reasons to start with and then a fourth reason became apparent you told me about a fourth reason later the first reason was that i thought it would be interesting to talk about like the weird one cameo colin farrell ever did ever because he doesn't do cameo appearances in movies right yeah Yeah. um i mean i you could very easily guess as to the reasons why he did this one. Um, well, that's and then point yeah. number two was that I, I I I thought it would be interesting to do that, and I did want to put a capper. Point number two was that I wanted to put a capper on the Joel Schumacher of his entire early early career, and then point number three was that I had never seen this movie. I just kind of de facto assumed that a Joel Schumacher movie about an enterprising journalist trying to take down the drug trade would be way trashier. And like yeah. more electric than this movie is. So I assumed I was like the Colin going into this. I was like, even if Colin's not really in this movie, because again, he's in this movie for 30 seconds. I, I was like, well, the career context is going to be important to discuss and the movie's going to be fun. And I was right on one of those two counts. <laughs> My assumption was very similar to yours, which is like, you're thinking about a Joel Schumacher kind of a, uh, a journalist movie. It, it screams neo-noir and Joel Schumacher yeah. in the nineties was like kind of a master at like trashy nineties. Yes. So it would make sense that you would assume that, that there would be a lot more, um, there would be a lot more in terms of, I mean, you get a couple instances where she's walking through like a brothel or a strip club, but much more of this uh, more high society journalist doing a deep delve into like the underground, the Dublin underground and entering all these, you know, malicious locales and, and groups of people and coming into contact with, which she does do, but this is just such a, a more realist take on I wouldn't... the Veronica Guerin story. I wouldn't even call it realist. Well, in terms of Joel I, Schumacher's yes, well, style. I yeah. would call it prestige. That is you also know? true. And yeah. I would find it very buttoned down and stiff upper lipped and respectable. In a way, you kind of don't want a, a, a Joel Schumacher movie to be, or B, a Joel Schumacher movie about, you know, the Irish drug trade. You don't want it to be this kind of PG-13 you know, gunning for a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah. Get what I'm saying? No, I do. Um, he, there yeah, are things if- written in interviews that I think kind of speak to why he went down this route in making this film in the style. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you completely. This is much more of um, a ploy at getting some acting award recognition for its lead, who is Kate Blanchett. And I who love Kate, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett? So I, that's probably why I had a good time watching this because I, I don't feel like I ever have a bad time watching Kate Blanchett do anything. Oh, um, I do. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I, I love, I love Kate Blanchett. But um, hey, you know what? By the way, uh, I was completely talking out of my ass when I said that earlier, but I just pulled it up. Kate uh, Blanchett did in fact get a Golden Globe nomination. Oh, for, for this? this movie? For this? Yeah, I didn't even realize that. That's crazy. Yeah, let's let's take a look. So this is 
this movie comes out in 2003. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, She's one of just about to win an Oscar. We'll, yeah. we'll get into the Cape Blanchett of it all later. And we'll get into the, the movie of it all. Uh, after, I, after I say this, but this is 2003. So this is the Lord of the Rings year, right? Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which, which, and I kind of talked is. about this a little bit. Which she is two, in, you know. Which she is in. I kind of yeah. talked about this a little bit two weeks ago. Um, but one of the interesting things about the Return of the King Oscar year is, even though it's so dominant, uh, it doesn't have any acting nominations. So the acting races are yeah. like completely divorced from the Best Picture race in Oscar and everything down. So here's here's who she's nominated against in the Globes. So obviously the Golden Globes do the drama comedy split. Um, so Diane Keaton, who's going to end up getting an Oscar nomination, is over in comedy. Um, but for drama, you've got Charlize Theron in there winning for Monster. You've got Nicole oh, yeah. Kidman. You've got Nicole Kidman for Cold Mountain, <laughs> which uh, we so talked about. The, we mentioned before. Yeah. So those are the other two. Best Oscar nominees in the category. Then this, I think, is interesting. They got they put in Evan Rachel Wood for thirteen. Oh wow! Um, uh, who who didn't get the Oscar nomination? But that's like the big breakthrough performance this year. They gave credit where credit is due to the Golden Globes. They gave Scarlett Johansson a nomination in each acting category this year. Oh wow! They had her in tra- Lost in Translation and Comedy, but then they gave her a second one for Girl for the Pearl Earring. <laughs> If you remember that movie, which is really a, like between that and the Evan Rachel Wood thing, that seems to be them trying to like coronate a new star. But then this is interesting. They added a six nominee this year. They snuck in Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. So oh, that's so they had cool. six. They, they had, had six, six for drama drama actress nominees that year. Thirteen is, feels like a movie that Joel Schumacher should have made. Yes. Does it not? Maybe. I've never seen it. It's way more. Um, uh, I, it has a reputation of being just like, you know, d- teenage young girls going crazy. Um, but it's way more of a condemnation of that kind of behavior. Yeah. Than you would think it's I think people it has a reputation of being like kids and kids is much more of like a horror film that seduces you into Kids. a part of it early in the film you know what i'm talking Man, about kids is wild yeah but 13 is not like that like no. 13 is 13 is what while while kids was written by like a 19 year old harmony Corrin, 13 is the version of kids that's written by like a very concerned 43 year old parent no it wasn't it wasn't though no but that's the way it reads like yeah, that's the way you, the film you know, plays you know who wrote 13 right no, I don't actually. Off the top of 13 my head. was written by Nikki Reed from oh, the Twilight really? movies, who's also in 13 when she was a 13 year old. That just blew my mind. Did you not know that? That's that like literally just gimmick. blew my mind like on air right now. That's like the whole <laughs> gimmick of that movie is that it was written by a teenager. That's crazy. It's, it's so you, it, it you've almost seen, you've seen 13. <laughs> I've seen like the first two acts okay, of it because i've never seen yeah. the the nikki reed plays evan rachel wood's friend in that movie yeah like, she's the other girl on the poster and she wrote the screenplay she wrote the screenplay with Catherine hardwick that's shocking uh to me. over the course of like a week sorry she was 14 when they wrote that movie still okay okay so but with that in mind it it reads much more like from the Catherine hardwick perspective sure 
Yeah. Catherine Hardwick is such an interesting director because like that first couple years of her career, like starting off with 13, which was like such a sensation. Even I know that I haven't seen it. And like from 13 <laughs> to Twilight, I know it is kind of like a tapering off, but she does kind of come on the scene so intensely as like, is this going to be like one of the next important American filmmakers? Like her 13, her fucking like follow-up to 13 was a biopic of Mary, the mother of Christ. Oh, right? like wow. she comes yeah. out the gate swinging. Um, and even like, even if her like nativity story and Lords of Dogtown don't like work, like her getting twilight is still a big deal. Like that was talked about as like kind of a coup for the twilight filmmakers but then like now 20 years after 13 15 years after twilight her stock has fallen so hard uh that her new movie isn't putting her name on the marketing at all you're not excited for mafia mama I, well, i'm not excited <laughs> for mafia mama but someone told me the other day i'm excited for mafia mama because i'm always excited for a new Catherine hardwick and i was like i have seen that trailer 100,000 times i had no idea Catherine hardwick directed this movie Cole, like retract this. Retract, retract this. Yeah. What? No, no. What I'm about to say. Okay. So yeah, moving on <laughs> really quickly from there. <laughs> but um, no, no. Thirteen. I think it's it, with that in mind. It's definitely from the perspective of like a concerned adult looking at this. Yeah. Culture that kind of exists for a select few of children and doesn't really exist across the board as much as the movie is trying to paint it as like the universal experience of teenagers at that point in time. Um, Have I ever gotten on my soapbox with you about child actors? Well, yeah, we've talked about it before. Yeah. I think we've actually talked about it quite a bit because we talked about okay. it when we went to go see Nope. We talked about it. Yes, we did. We did. We got into the, that was our big Nope follow-up. Yeah, because yeah. just, we'll just. We talked just about a... it with the Wild Child, the Truffaut film. Yes, we did yeah. God, that fucking movie. Um, because I'm I'm like big picture regardless of content, I don't think children should be in movies. Uh, because we we seem to have decided that child labor is a bad thing, uh, unless it's yeah. the entertainment industry, and I not particularly okay with that and i think people sometimes get hung up and think that i'm saying i don't like the work that child actors do like the performances and it's not that it's just that i'm like i don't think this is ethical and then on top of that i tend to get very on edge when i see children doing stuff where i'm like i think this is actually an inappropriate thing to have asked the kid to do even independent that of that yeah that is why i have never seen 13 because i just don't love because like say what you will about kids but kids is mostly like older teens playing younger right or even like 18 year olds playing younger yeah for there's the only most a there's only a handful of actual like 12 and 13 year old actors and kids and those are the most uncomfortable scenes in that movie um speaking of things that made me uncomfortable all the kids fucking messing around with the needles in uh oh in in Veronica this, in, Veronica Garrett, Garrett. in this movie yeah I was like, is that an okay thing to ask child actors to do? I don't know that it is. I don't know that it's cool to ask a kid to mime shooting up heroin. You know? Yeah. I kind of I kind of have the viewpoint of like, I think if it's less than a three-week long shoot, or I think if it's less than a three-week long shoot, 
it's fine. I think kids, they get like, you get to be in one union movie and then that's it. You know, sure. can't do it ever again. You um, shouldn't get to go to the Oscars until you're 18. You shouldn't be doing you press definitely runs. shouldn't, you shouldn't be press. going to award shows. Um, if it's over the summer, like that's cool. Um, but I don't think kids should be missing school. Um, again, yeah. it's if it's like three like, weeks, it's I, like, okay, that's one thing. Um, but I don't think still works, kids should though. just be out of school yeah. consistently. Yeah, it's it is kind of like I mean, I I love Avatar the Way of Water more than like anyone, but that is like asking children to have given up two years of their lives. Yeah, to it's crazy. Go through the fucking James Cameron psychosis of it all. I, I think the and, problem is it's like you're it's over for you if you don't want to be an actor after that. Yeah, like if you decide this isn't for me and you've spent two years of like the most yeah. pivotal years of your life uh, towards this giant like CGI spectacle or even not not Avatar, but like any film, if you're giving up that much time and you're out of school, you're not developing at the same rate that other children your age are developing and building these important relationships that they head into adulthood with these important experiences that they head into adult with adulthood with notwithstanding even like the question of fame and the question of giving a kid a lot of money and issues like that i think you're just running into problems where it's like stunted development and they're just lost by the time they're fully fledged adults and they don't necessarily know what to do or where to go this is this is why i'm also a little like somewhat controversially i i famously said i don't really give a shit about nepo babies in hollywood and, and part of the reason I don't give a shit about Nepo babies in Hollywood, well, part of the reason I don't give a shit about Nepo babies in Hollywood is that I think most people complaining about Nepo babies in Hollywood think that it's the only reason they aren't famous, uh, personally. Oh, like because um, the, they're taking the opportunity. Yeah, right? but but but, yeah. but this is my thing. When when we talk about children of actors, and really children of actors more so than I think children of like executives, we talk about children of actors becoming famous actors in their own right. A lot of times what we're actually talking about is kids getting taken advantage of by their parents to keep the gravy train running, right? <laughs> that and is getting true, yeah. forced to like give up their childhood to, to then become a worker, to, to keep the money flowing into the family. And that's how you end up with cases of like Robert Downey Jr. and Drew Barrymore, where they become like drug addicts before they're 18, right? Mm -hmm. Because the it, because so much is being asked of them, and they don't have time to be children, uh, and that's kind of how I feel about all child actors. And it's it, it's just a hard thing to say because like I don't want to universally condemn every movie that has kids in it, right? No, and that's why I think they're like I just think I, it's a structural it's more, it's issue. More of a, it's more of a systemic issue about the way movies are made and the yeah. way television is made than it is about the idea of them being in movies or being in TV shows. Like yeah. having long-running sitcoms starring children, which is Horrible. what the entire Disney Channel and Nickelodeon oh. apparatus is structured on top of. It's that's the that's that's their influx of revenue is is yeah. having shows that run for four and five seasons starring kids from the age of 11 through 17 it's it's, it's that, horrid you can't come out of that and exist as a normal person in the society that we all share you know what i'm yeah. saying so it's not like when amanda Bynes is having issues it's not a shock at all yeah she had a variety television show that was named after her did, <laughs> she, did, was, she was too young to see r-rated movies and she had a variety yeah. television yeah. show that was named it's, after it's her. awful and i mean that's I mean, that's the Britney yeah. Spears thing, right? Like, that's the real. 
I mean, it's, I was, I got into this argument with a family member where they were like, well, Taylor Swift only gets to be famous because her parents were rich. And my counter argument was one, her parents were not rich. The economy had not crashed yet. Yeah. Uh, and everyone across the board was wealthier. You, you are too young to have an understanding of this Two, D- Taylor Swift's parents exploited her. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like Taylor Swift's parents dropped everything to make their child a celebrity that it worked out for Taylor Swift. And it's horrible. What happened to Britney Spears does not make Taylor Swift's parents better people. It just, they got lucky. You know, it's the same situation of, of parents shoving their kids. I also, I read, you know, Jeanette McCurdy for my Carly. Did you yeah. read her, her autobiography? No, I haven't. Yeah. I read that I'm one. I'm happy my mom died. Yeah. I'm, happy, I'm, I'm glad my mom's dead. I'm glad my mom's God, dead. I read, I was already kind of an evangelist on this. And then I read that book when it came out and now I'm like a hardliner, like death to all stage parents. You're monsters. But at the same time, like, I'm not saying Celine Sciamma is necessarily a villain for making petite maman, you know? I'm not yeah. saying that Schumacher or girlhood is this, also or girlhood or, or Joel yeah. Schumacher is a bad person for having kids in this movie. Like, I think the 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 concept of child acting is exploitative. I don't think everyone who's doing it is thinking of things that way because that's just how society is set up that we've decided it's okay. I think it's weird. It's nothing to do with Veronica Gare. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could talk about this forever, probably. We have, yeah, this was our big takeaway from Nope because I, I have a similar feeling about animals. Yeah, I just have a feeling I, the kids I, I'm animals. very much like like Moonrise Kingdom makes me very uncomfortable when they're in their underwear dancing oh, around that the beach and they have to kiss each other. Yeah, and I don't know what to say about it. Because, I don't know what to say. And yeah. I don't think either of them have said, you know, because she still acts, he doesn't. Yeah, but, but, also, but he's like, also a very public figure. I'm sure they yeah, I'm sure know. they were treated very well by Wes Anderson and his crew. I'm sure that's not an issue that was at hand during during the f- making of that film. I'm sure that they probably didn't necessarily feel exploited like while the film was being made. And I'm sure that most child actors probably don't feel exploited while sure. the making of something is happening. But it's the, the pure essence of when you're yeah. boiling it down to, you know, on paper, what's happening here. In one You've, sentence, it's child labor, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say I will say two things. And like the, the, the two things I will say about that are one is I, have you seen the Greg Araki movie, Mysterious Skin? No, I have not. Uh, a, a very harrowing and very like visually explicit movie about child molestation, right? Oh, and wow. you, I you will probably read, not be watching it. Then. I mean, it's one. It's truly, I think it's one of the best movies ever made. I don't recommend anyone go out and see it because it yeah. is a devastating film. Uh, one we might talk about on this podcast at some day. We can talk about that later. <laughs> uh, just because of who the star of that movie is. Um, but I, I, I do think about how much work I know Greg Araki did in protecting the child actors in that movie from even the idea of what the movie was about. Yeah. Which he did. And he, that was such a focus that that was such a focused intentional thing for Gregor Rocky, that the sort of visual language he had to develop to isolate the actual child actors from the content became the visual language. He just made every movie in after that, like it actually transformed how we oh, made movies with adults because he liked how it looked. But then I also, 
So every time I'm like, that should be the bare minimum. And even that probably isn't okay is building your entire set around protecting the kids. And yeah. then the other thing is you, you say that thing about Wes Anderson, the kids in their underwear in Moonrise Kingdom. Sure. We don't know anything to say that they weren't treated respectfully. Okay. But you go from that to that story that broke about the Safety brothers this week. I assume you saw that. Um, about the, uh, uh, Emily Rajkowski's. Yeah, that there was. Yeah, there. The just just to clarify, list. I'm sorry we're getting into bummer, awful <laughs> stuff, but one of the producers on Good Time, a, a woman accused him of grooming her from when she was 17, and part of it was that he kind of talked her into um into being in Good Time with the promise that she would be in uh in a scene with Robert Pattinson and then she ended up shooting a sex scene with a different actor like just getting like shoved on the set and basically being told to take her clothes off and shoot the sex scene um and that she felt like very pressured to do it and like the safety brothers were there shooting it and a lot of people were saying like they had to have actively taken steps to skirt the unions to allow this scene to be shot to have this non-union minor be nude on camera right yeah. But my takeaway from that is, yeah, they had to skirt around the rules to prevent this. But the bigger picture is that there is a very slippery slope from Wes Anderson being, as far as we know, respectful and the horror show that went on the good time set, yeah. because the, the, the rules to protect these things really should be rules to prevent even the broader context of this thing from happening. And the second you start permitting it in some contexts, you allow people to fuck the whole thing up. Man, fuck the Safety brothers. I'm so upset about that story. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to hear. It's awful. I feel so awful for her. I mean, I think I am a hardliner that I think a director's number one job is to run a safe set. Right. I do too, yeah. And Which I think is, you know, if we're going to get into Joel Schumacher, who didn't necessarily make great films year after sure. year after year, but clearly everybody who worked with him loved working with him. Yeah. And he clearly had a great collaborative environment with everybody that he brought into a project, that brought into this family that was embarking right. on something together. But yeah, just you to, could go ahead just and to put a button on the child actor thing. Anything. I think your job as a director is to run a safe set. And the second you introduce a kid into that mix, you're starting to start push at the edges of what that means. And I think that allows permits worse behavior. This is actually what Nope is about in a way. Yeah. Partially. Which is why we got into this after Nope. You know, it's a good movie. Nope. Yeah. You know, it's not a good movie. Uh, no. What are you? Veronica <laughs> oh, see, I don't think it's a bad movie. <laughs> I think it's just a snoozer. Um, uh, you want to do the plot synopsis before we get into the sucker? Yeah, uh, there was something. I'm going to leave something on the table. I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, this movie is Veronica Garrett. It was made in 2003 by Joel Schumacher. Um, Kate Blanchett stars as the titular Veronica Garrett, a real-life Irish journalist who sought to take down uh, organized crime in Dublin and um, I guess the whole of Ireland, really. Ireland's not that huge of a place uh, in comparison, especially to America. Um but yeah, it stars Kate Blanchett and Gerard McSorley as John Gilligan, another real name uh, criminal from 
the 90s and Kieran Hines as John Trainer, another real person, which I think is kind of surprising that this movie goes to such lengths to use the real names of all these individuals who are involved. Um, and yeah, uh, Veronica Guerin, she's a journalist for the Sunday Independent, an Irish newspaper, and she's essentially horrified by the ongoing drug epidemic that is seizing uh, the slums of Dublin at the in the mid 90s and she starts connecting the dots in a way that the police can't and starts bringing to light some names that are very clearly involved in the irish drug trade and she ends up finding a pretty grisly end um, as she's murdered uh pretty close to publishing a big expose about said drug trade um this is our second movie and what i'm gonna dub as the mcu yeah, the Martin Cahill universe. So that's yeah, that's the other thing about this movie is Martin Cahill of ordinary decent criminal fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the which again uh, is much more better portrayed in John Borman's The General. Sure, a movie decent I criminal. still I yeah. should have watched. So that's the other reason I wanted to cover this. Once you told me that, because you watched this when we were when you were doing prep for ordinary decent criminal, and I think. To, to get into, I want to, should we get into, I think we should get into Colin's cameo now and then talk um, about the rest of the movie. Unless yeah, you I just, yeah. I'll just say there is, Martin Cahill is portrayed in this film. He's depicted in this film yes. and his murder is depicted in this film. Which is which obviously depicted. Ordinary Decent Criminal isn't a true one-to-one take on the Martin Cahill biopic. Yeah. He's not, he has a different name. I can't even remember what it is yeah. um, by this point. Yeah. Um, this can kind of be seen as a spinoff to the general, I guess. Yes. Based off of the events that are portrayed and how they're depicted. Yeah. I remember when I was doing my digging into Martin Cahill for the ordinary decent criminal episode, um, there was some, it's still not a hundred percent a settled case as to who killed Martin Cahill. Um, Yeah. And I think this movie interestingly does, even though he is a minor figure in the story, um, and this movie does take uh, a side vis-a-vis who killed Martin Cahill. It does yeah. kind of allude to the other, I think, more prominent uh, understanding of who killed Martin Cahill, uh, which was the IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The IRA, which was involved in the illegal drug trade well, to raise funds. See, okay, that's, that's yeah. the other thing, which which... This movie doesn't really acknowledge and uh, nor does Ordinary Decent Criminal acknowledge. And the Ordinary Decent Criminal actually skirts it more because that movie so clearly portrays the tension between Cahill and the IRA as being one of who gets to control the drug trade. I believe there were some theories thrown around that that wasn't actually the issue. The issue was that Cahill and maybe because the IRA were his opponents in the drug trade, but that Cahill was funding uh, Protestant groups in North, North Ireland. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I'm a bit foggy on my Martin yeah, Cahill that's, research. That's yeah. some stuff I saw that some people have speculated that it was in fact a political assassination. This movie says that the IRA had nothing to do with it and that it's, uh, it's a rival drug kingpin who wants him dead. What I find interesting is that, well, I think the other, I think the general particularly is a little bit more ambiguous about Martin Cahill's 
like place within the drug trade i think this movie takes a pretty um hardline stance that he was not actually involved in the drug trade at all and that uh his killing was really a matter of um like territorial aggression by rival gangs yeah trying to take over his neighborhoods in the first what he he dies what like 25 minutes into this movie i think Um, it is it's yeah. pretty it's 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 earlier than you'd think it would be because he's introduced as this like notorious psycho uh who you don't want to fuck with and and Garen early on as she's beginning her case just because he's such a you know as yeah. we talked about he's such a famous criminal you know she what uh thinks yeah I'll I'll connect it to ordinary decent criminal you know when he aren't they like don't they they break a guy's hand in like a car door and then yes. it turns out that the guy wasn't lying because he was yes. interrogating the guy and then he feels bad and he's like, OK, here's a bunch of money and let's get him yeah. to the hospital and clean him up. That's what's depicted. That same um, event is what's depicted at the beginning of this movie when they're mm-hmm. like nailing a guy to the floorboard. Yeah, he nails a guy to the yeah. floor. But that's the thing. But is that's like- the same. That's what I realized when I was doing all this research on him was that was like a notorious thing that happened in the Irish underground. Yeah. So that's the same event that's being depicted. Well, doesn't, doesn't he nail... I think I saw this in Ebert's review. Doesn't he nail a guy to a pool table in the general? Yes, yeah. Yeah. It, very interesting that you get in a five-year window three movies that deal with this same Dublin crime lord. Four, um, you get four. Because there's another movie made about oh, that's Veronica right. Guerin. And that's Martin right. Cahill is also in that movie, played by um Peter Possewaith. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me he's got the wig. The long No, hair. he doesn't. He looks like Peter Possewaith. And he gets killed. Like He literally gets killed in that one like three minutes into the movie. Yeah. And it's not the same way. He gets like thrown out of a window. But um, it's... It's the thing is that I'm I'm sitting down and I'm watching this movie and you had told me that Martin Cahill factors into this movie and the movie basically opens with being like Martin Cahill is the most like fucked up and dangerous and scary criminal in Dublin right like that's how the movie opens and at the top of the movie um, you know Veronica Guerin realizes there's this drug you know, nightmare plaguing Dublin. She kind of assumes that Cahill is the leading factor in it because he is such a famous criminal. Yes. Right? He's then, very famous by this point yeah. because again, he stole, I think, yes. Vermeer paintings. Yes, this this is yeah. right after he stole the Vermeers too. They do acknowledge and everybody that. had yeah. known that he stole them, but the police could not yes. mount the evidence against yes. him to convict. So so yeah. the movie introduces these two tensions, right? That she thinks it's him and that he is even more so than in ordinary Deuce criminal, that he is like a psycho. He is dangerous, right? Yeah. That's the table setting of the movie. And then it introduces this third wrinkle. This point, I'm still very interested in the movie. It introduces this third wrinkle that, oh, he has nothing to do with the drug trade. And he's also honestly kind of opposed to the drug trade. He's also broke. And he's broke. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's a group of much subtler criminals who are running the drug trade. So it's very interested in this like weird three-way tension between crusading journalist, scary criminal who has nothing to do with the case, subtle criminals who are the real villains, all sides are fighting against each other. And then basically the second the movie has established that scenario, and I know this is the curse of doing a movie in real life. Uh, is it Gallagher? Is that his name? The real Kingpin? Gilligan. 
Gilligan. Yeah. Gilligan does a fucking knockoff of the end of The Godfather and kills off all of Cahill's gang, including Cahill. And then yeah. Martin Cahill is fucking out of this movie before the end of Act One. And can I all throw the tension in, deflates from this thing. Can I throw in a wrinkle that I find interesting before we sure. get into kind of how it transitions from this very tense opening with Cahill at play to yeah. Cahill not being in play? Is that what I find interesting at this point is Ireland, which is a country at this point in time with less than 5 million of total population. And you have Cahill, who's a celebrity criminal that everybody knows his name. Everybody's aware yeah. of him. Even people who aren't really necessarily reading the news day in and day out are aware of who Martin Cahill is and how dangerous he is by reputation. And Veronica Guerin is also a celebrity journalist by this point for breaking these huge stories and these huge exposés. Yeah. Um, before she started writing about crime, she wrote a lot about political corruption and things happening within the church, uh, which was also going through a huge moment of really like a reckoning of horrible uh, miscarriages of trust that were happening. Not, not all necessarily in terms of uh sexual abuse within the church but just other issues of like money being laundered money being hidden offshore by politicians and by clergy officials um so which i think that's probably the biggest aspect that plays into her decision making is the fact that she is so well known and so notorious and on television regularly um but yeah as you say it begins with this very interesting tension of power at play um mm -hmm. and as soon as cahill and his gang is taken out by gilligan and his gang or his multitudes of gangs which is what it makes it seem that tension kind of dissipates yeah and then it it tries it becomes to less of a mystery it know? becomes it becomes yeah. less of a mystery and then what it also does is that with cahill out of the picture her her informant in in the drug ring basically starts to pin things on another mob another crime boss in the area yeah um but that guy is just kind of very passive and chill and like so again that the you're kind of just instead of this tension of like well k hills will lose cannon but he has nothing to do with it what's going to happen you're instead then kind of sitting there like twiddling your thumbs waiting for her to figure it out which she does like an hour later almost um i think that's where the i think that's the movie's greatest uh greatest issue or its largest yeah, issue it's just, is that the bulk of the conflict at play for the majority for the entire second act of the film and the majority of the film's runtime is that she is using this man named john trainer who's played by yeah. kieran hines as an informant as as someone who's giving her information about the Dublin underground and about the drug trade, but she does not know because she had worked with him before that he is such a big player within this drug trade that, he, that if she's trying to take down Gilligan, she's also essentially going to take down him. Um, which I, which should be, if you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that should be the most interesting yeah. uh, point of tension and point of conflict at play. Um, but again, I think it becomes very clear to the viewer I think the viewer understands even before Cahill dies that Trainer is in deep with Gilligan and in deep with. Oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's there. Yeah, he's there. He's like he's honestly like Gilligan's consigliere, right? He's like his number two in a way. I think he's more like they butt heads a lot, yeah. but he's not because he's not necessarily he's not a rival. Gilligan's no. way above him. 
in terms of power and everything like that. But he's also not like in Gilligan's inner circle. He's more of he's more of like a secondary. Um, but he's also he's <laughs> also someone crazy, so. he's also someone that Gilligan seems to be coming to for like advice almost in a way, even if it's unspoken. This sense that like I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do and you're gonna butt heads against it and that's how i gilligan i'm gonna figure out like I my own deal with feelings trainer. on the issue i think the deal with trainer is that he's a secondary acquaintance to gilligan but he's also he's also an important gear within yeah. this drug drug trade infrastructure so gilligan can't really take trainer out because gilligan won't be able to continue his dealings without trainer um fixed within his position you, you get what i mean yeah and it's definitely one of those cases where he's using like fear and power to force trainer into doing things for yeah. him, even if trainer um, doesn't necessarily yeah. want to do them. And I think Kieran Hines gives a pretty interesting performance. Yeah, within... he's fine in this movie. Yeah. He probably gives the best performance in this movie. I uh, think that's maybe, true. Colin, maybe Colin Farrell. Um, <laughs> I mean, Colin Farrell's electric you, when he comes on screen. You you had acknowledged this earlier that Ordinary Decent Criminal isn't technically about Martin Cahill, right? It's technically fiction. Yeah, yeah. That they changed all the names, and I think you said they change all the say, names, and they change yeah. uh, like the events of Martin Cahill's like criminal dealings that are the canonic like Martin Cahill activities, like the like the um the art robbery, and again like that torture scene. They keep that in ordinary decent criminal, but they essentially change, or and including like the sister wives. And how both yeah. of them have children with him. They they keep all of that, but then they change everything else that happens. Yeah. That well, story. this this is the yeah. this is the point I wanted to make. Thaddeus O'Sullivan had said because he was developing the general before Borman hopped on the general. Yeah. And the reason he walked off the general and just made his own version of this story is that after spending a couple of years developing a biopic, he felt that fidelity to fact was a hindrance to the movie he wanted to make. And he wanted the freedom to change things and, you know, invent a whole ending and whatever. And we kind of talked about how maybe that didn't work in that movie, but you watch yeah. this movie. And I do think this movie's two big issues are born of a fidelity to truth, right? The first being that it has to kill Martin Cahill off early. Uh, 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 easy A plus number one is to just blend Martin Cahill and this other guy. What is it? Like the, the priest? It's something, the monk. Right, this other yes, crime yes. boss who gets framed, yeah. like just blend them into the same character. Then you keep the tension of the guy who nails a man to the floor in the opening scene through the whole movie. Your movie's better. You can't do that because Martin Cahill died. The second thing, and this is the big one, the trainer Garen relationship. Right? Yeah, you are begging for that. This movie to be more of a romance between these two, even if it's an unspoken romance, what needs to be happening in this movie is there needs to be some sort of erotic and romantic tension that exists between these two people. And that needs to be the center of the story. You know, the criminal and the journalist, they're on opposite sides of the law. They're both using each other. Is there something more? Right. That's the morass. That is the like exciting human drama. Or at, at least something, story, if it's not yeah, erotic, yeah, something like erotic, the Irish romantic, you know, yearning. Like, there's got to be something there. The problem is, any direction you take that, you start to feel like you're defaming the real Veronica Guerin, who's a heroic martyr who was murdered, yeah. right? And that's the other problem with fidelity to truth is you can't, 
you can't you you start to limit your ability to imagine what happened in people's heads and like i'm erotic maybe isn't the wrong word romantic no because i think the, you could yeah. do i think you could do something like the irishman where trainer yes. has obviously helped garen break uh, big stories before and you could tell that this like mutually beneficial thing has produced some kind of a friendship between them so i you could go down that route which i think what i was saying that like i think kieran hines gives a good performance is you could tell that he doesn't want to hurt veronica garen and but, he's being forced into the situation but what does he by, do but what do you he mean plans a, he plans a hit on her yeah yeah that's yeah, what i'm exactly. saying like the, he's the, the moment, one he's essentially the one yeah. that kills her even though he's not the one that pulls the trigger yes he's the one yeah. that kills her but also she survives an earlier assassination attempt by that was that was put into motion by him that was put into motion by him yeah. the moment where she finds that out in a good movie should be the most heartbreaking thing in the world because this relationship should be centered and in this movie it kind of just falls flat I and i think it's because th this movie doesn't want to depict Garen as having any those shades of gray, you know, um, beyond the Ebert thing, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that Roger Ebert in his very positive review of this movie basically spent the entire time making the argument that this isn't a movie about a heroic journalist. This is a fascinating portrait of a bullheaded idiot who I got think herself funny, killed. I think the funny thing is, Ebert mentions that he thinks that uh, Schumacher like did this by accident. But if yeah. you read Schumacher's interviews about the film, it's clear that that's also what he was aiming. Interesting, because I yeah. I saw an interview with the two of them where Blanchett and Schumacher, and Schumacher more so. Like they didn't mention Ebert by name, but they were talking about that idea, and they were both kind of bristling up, and Schumacher more so at, at it being a sexist read of the movie. That they were like, if you made this movie about a guy. No one would ever think yeah. he was doing that. And Schumacher was really hitting that point. Schumacher compared Veronica Guerin to Daniel Pearl, who's the American journalist who got captured by the Taliban and beheaded. And he yeah. was saying, like, no one ever says that Daniel Pearl was an idiot who put his own life in danger or put his family's life in danger. You should not be talking about Veronica Guerin that way either. But I also yeah. I read that same interview with with that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but they also mentioned that they were very they were. um they very intentionally did not want to portray her as a martyr or they didn't they want the totally story to do. be like, they totally the story. Do. I know they do, but it's, it's funny. Like, it's funny that they say that's not what their intentions. And then they have this elongated like funeral sequence at the end where it's like, here are all the changes yeah, that were like made to Ireland because of her death. But I just, I think it's funny that they they're claiming that their intention was the same thing that Ebert is kind of asserting that they did by accident. You know, I would, you know what I mean? I would also like to say, okay. In so many ways, Joel Schumacher is like the empty headed yin to Paul Verhoeven's yang. Right. And I mean that as a compliment. And if, if the, the, the version of this movie I'm kind of asking for that is scarier and uglier and more romantic is almost the Verhoeven take on it. Right. The like, yeah the things yeah. that can't be unspoken becoming spoken. The version that Ebert seems to be identifying does feel like the movie I want to see Joel Schumacher make. The one that is almost a comedy, right? And it's almost like bored sadism. 
towards this character that thinks it's an idiot. Just say that the movie. Be... Just say the movie that you want this to be more like. Uh, Just get out of your bit, system. A little bit more like a time to kill. Or I I'm want saying. it to be more like eight millimeter. Or eight millimeter. A movie yeah. I don't particularly care for that much. But like there, 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 there is a withdrawal to a lot of Joel Schumacher's best movies, right? There's a distance to it that that is winking and knowing. Um, that is not there in this movie that and that's part of why I think this movie doesn't click for me is that it's so buttoned down. It's too sincere. Yeah. Uh, and I don't necessarily want sincerity from Joel Schumacher. And I'm surprised you're <laughs> taking this because you're you got madder than I did about the sincerity of phone booth. Oh, no, yeah. it's more like I'm not giving a glowing like I know you're not giving a glowing to this. It's more just like I, I just enjoy I just enjoy seeing Blanchett do her thing. Yeah. Since she really gets to do it in this. It's yeah. it's a fine performance. Before we get into the Blanchett of it all, though, I do want to talk about Colin. Yeah. Because uh, Colin shows up in this movie. Like we said, it's a cameo. Um, and it's a very strange scene. Can um, I start you off with something? Yeah. That this just <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> Is that in an interview with Karen Butler that he gave while he was doing the recruit, she refers in her written article that was published, you know. <laughs> I was gonna mention that, this. I was gonna mention that this. his character in Veronica Garrett in the upcoming Veronica Garrett is Spanky McSpank. And I just find that so funny. <laughs> that it's clearly she asked him what who he was playing in Veronica Garrett, and he said Spanky McSpank, yes. and she just took it as fact that a, that was what the actual character's name is. A a great thing that I have noticed through watching all these junket interviews and late night talk show appearances and reading the equivalent press stuff from this interview is it is almost like a strange form of kayfabe that all these shitty <laughs> mid-level yeah. entertainment journalists who don't base who don't have real jobs right don't conduct real interviews are basically just aspects of the marketing team for yeah. movies that the only way they seem they can do their jobs is by like convincing themselves that everything is serious and on the level, because yeah. if they think about it with any sense of irony, that then the entire thing falls apart. And then you have drunk Colin Farrell coming through and never giving a serious answer to every question <laughs> and, and, the, the, and, and them just treating it like it's being sincere and it's not never giving a sincere. serious answer, not giving an answer that's appropriate for like, American broadcast fuck on live television, yeah. <laughs> not being able to um, give a short synopsis or even like pitch to the general idea of the movie, which he just cannot seem and to man, do, even I if know. it's something like phone booth. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's a, it's, it's a two pronged thing, right? I think part of it is the drugs for Colin. And I don't yeah. want to say that. I think part of it is that the, the, the equivalent British, right? angle of this of this kind of entertainment industry is a lot sillier uh than the americans which is 100%. a lot more like clean cut uh and yeah. so he's 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 much more comfortable fucking around and it doesn't translate at all but but again it's the same reason why he's such a good interview now <laughs> yeah he doesn't is. take it seriously he just wants to have fun um yeah his character is not named spanky mcspankspank or whatever he said well it could be no, no, because he's in the he's in the credits. Oh, he is. He's tattooed boy. Yeah, but his name could be Spanky McSpank. Yeah, a character. Yeah, his his the character's uh, name could be Spanky McSpank. I'm technically a character's name is what it is in the credits. That's what they say in the screenplay. Yeah, but um, I'm saying yeah. the biography of his sure. character. He could have been born 
Burn on his birth so, certificate it says Spanky McSpank. Colin Farrell plays this like heavily tattooed skinhead who Veronica clearly get- coming off of Daredevil and his hair hasn't come yeah. back yet. Um, but like cover, like like neck almost bordering on face tattoos, right? Wearing yeah. the leather jacket. But it's not just that he's shooting Daredevil Connor, he's playing a skinhead, right? Like they're taking advantage of that. They could have put him in a wig. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's British, it's British and Irish skinhead culture, right? Like he's a street yeah. tough. Um and he passes Veronica Garrett passes him on the street. He's watching a football game through the TV, through through, through the window, watching a football game on TV. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah. Just to just to make this clear, I, for Colin Farrell, I don't think the term skinhead means what we as Americans think it means. Well, I'm referring to it in the British to, context. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I just wanted to make that clear because well, let me yeah let let me clarify that skinhead culture is like street gang culture in the uk it's not inherently racist yeah there are neo-nazi skinhead groups uh there are also non-neo-nazi skinhead groups he is not de facto playing a white nationalist he's playing a skinhead skinhead culture invented by the jamaicans i will have you know so fuck the nazis (laughs) no but i'm just saying like as an american if you mention skinhead it immediately notes uh like neo-nazi activities yes well it's because uh, i'll I'll go on this brief tangent here um punk rock as an offshoot of glam rock pops up in new york and then gets copied in london in the late 70s but then what happens is there's kind of a cultural split and in america we develop hardcore punk both as a musical and like as in a fashion aesthetic lifestyle division Whereas in the UK, they get more into ska and Jamaican music. Yeah. And, and, and bring a harder edge to that and develop skinhead culture, which is much more of a street gang culture to it. With the street gang culture comes neo-Nazis attracting themselves to that culture, right? Now, not all, not all skinheads are neo-Nazis. A lot of the more vocal ones, the more prominent ones, especially in the 80s in the UK are which means that American skinheads are probably not always the only two skinheads I know in my personal life are devout anti-racists. That's why I always want to like put my foot down about this. Yeah. Um, but American skinheads are probably behaving like skinheads because they are emulating British neo-Nazis, but skinhead culture is much more varied than that one loud, annoying aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's just important. Yeah, to, you know, to it point is an important right thing now. to put yeah. out because he mentions always, in interviews yeah. with American press while he's shooting Daredevil. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, I'm a skinhead in this film." He's like, "I yeah. used to be a skinhead a few times when I was growing up, but I haven't done it in a while." And I, while I was reading that interview, yeah. all I could think to myself is, "I don't think he realizes how this is going to play yeah. to American audiences who have just seen American History X yeah. and who are very aware of that term only used in yes. in a racist." Um, it's I mean, I, I, I'm not going to try to, I'm not trying to shove the racist stuff under the bed or anything. No, it's no, just, no. It's, just, it's, yeah. it's because I've known a couple sharps in my life that I always want to be like, defend broader skinhead culture and not cede it to the neo-Nazis. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Colin Farrell plays a skinhead in this movie. He plays a street tough in this movie. He's watching a football game in a pub, standing outside the pub. Veronica Guerin passes him. She strikes up a conversation with him. Maybe he starts talking to her. They chat briefly about the game. He tries to pick her up. She says no, goes about her day. That's literally all it is. 
right? Well, he on he so he gives her the Columbo moment where she realizes that she can sure. learn who's who's actually pro because okay, so at this point in the movie, Martin Kayla Cahill has been killed and she went through his finances and realizes that he doesn't have any money. Mm. And she understands that there's this huge drug trade and also tangentially these robberies which martin cahill was involved with are also happening at the same time but she doesn't know she can't track down the money so she doesn't necessarily know who's profiting from it and who's in charge and she's while they're watching the soccer game it cuts to a, a brief news bulletin about yes um, yes you're right i forgot i forgot for i think Hold. i think it's also it could be the art that cahill stole right I I don't remember, but it, it, it's it's a large haul from a robbery. Yeah, and she asks Farrell's character Spanky McSpank, as I'm going to continue. <laughs> on, that she asks him where you would hide the money from a haul like that, and he says, "I think he says you wouldn't have to hide it because you'd have so much trouble finding places to spend it all." And that's when she that's when she has the Colombo moment of, oh, I shouldn't be tracking down like offshore accounts or like safes around Dublin where this money might be being. Yes. Kept. I have to track down the big spenders and where the money's. Yes, being you're spent. right. Yeah. It's the Mike. It's kind of the Mike Yanagita in Fargo moment, but yeah, yeah. not as good as the Mike Yanagita in Fargo. Moment. No, it's also My like a favorite scene in that movie. simple thing that yeah. Veronica Guerin, who's an experienced car reporter by this point, would already know, like to do that. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. <laughs> that, that, that's my real point is that, yes, the seam serves a function, but it's kind of a belabored way to serve the function, right? Like she doesn't need yeah. to have the conversation with this guy to figure that out. She could be at home talking to her husband, watching the scene. It exists to give Colin Farrell like a cameo in the movie. But it's, it's also very clear that he's in the movie to capitalize on how, how big of a star he is well, at this moment in time. Okay, I think it's part that because this movie probably still has gone into production before it's full. he's fully blown up, right? Yeah. Because the but, blow up is so fast and this movie comes out a year after Minority Report. I think it's, I think it's two things. I think it's Joel wanting to put his buddy in the in the. I think it's Joel wanting to put his Irish buddy in the Irish movie. That's clear. Right. Um, As we've said before, this is the third time they've worked together, but especially coming off phone booth, they both talk about the other, like it's like a match made in heaven. Right. Um, With reverence. calls him reverence for one. Yeah. Colin calls him his mentor. Joel's like, this is the best actor I've found in a long time. Yeah. I would totally understand, even if there wasn't room to give him a real role, you wanted to squeeze him in the movie. Which interesting then that they don't work together ever again. Yeah, I know. And I couldn't figure out why. If Colin... I know Colin sings in Crazy Heart, but yeah. if Colin was more of a musical theater person, he would have been the Gerard char- the Gerard Butler character in Phantom of the Opera. Almost certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's a different type of singing too. Um, and I know Gerard. That's is what I'm saying. He's not yeah. he's not a musical theater yeah. person. Um, and like I know Joel Schumacher's career really just goes in the dumps after this movie, but it's not mm. like Colin doesn't take flyers on small movies. And I also Somebody asked him about Joel when he was doing press for the Batman. Uh, and because, you know, the Joel Batman movies. And he talked, you know, very lovingly about Joel and how hurt Joel yeah. was by the, re- the cultural rejection of those movies. 
So it's just interesting. Did, were you able to figure out why they never worked together again? Because I couldn't find any either of them ever saying anything. Because it, it, I think it it's just, just one of those things. Like, yeah, like I said, I think he's developing Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Um, like right on the tails of this movie, uh, Colin's not a musical theater person. He goes with Gerard Butler, but in interviews for that film, he he's constantly comparing Gerard Butler to Colin Farrell. Yeah. So I think it's pretty That's... clear that he would have cast him in that. Yeah. Then he makes like the that... number twenty three. Which with... is a Jim Carrey vehicle from the start. Horrible. Why is, but why isn't Colin in like 12 or something? You know, like I know those are small movies, but when Joel's making yeah. those last couple movies, Colin's making movies that scale to. It, it's not just weird because they made three movies together and then stopped working together. It is weird. The thing that tripped it up was reading the phone booth interviews and realizing how much affection they both had for each other. And I, it might just be that it just didn't work out. I think it's, it's a, a bummer thing. I, it might you know, be a Joel's thing. getting older and it's, true. Colin, it's just one of those things where it's like at this moment in time, Colin's off, like Colin's working on projects that have shooting cycles. Uh, we're talking like seven, eight months. This you know? is true. Yeah. Just to, just to run through Joel Schumacher's filmography after this movie, you just said family opera bomb, right? Like yeah. still coast to a couple Oscars, but and theater people don't like it. They hate it. Yeah. But that's the big musical following Chicago, and it doesn't do well. Yeah. Number 23 is a disaster. It's so um, bad that how did this get made? Just covered it. It's awful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, then he makes a couple years later, he makes Blood Creek, which is like a straight to video horror movie that rules. Do you know about Blood Creek? Yeah, I've seen it before. It's so good. Yeah. Listeners, I just need to tell you about Blood Creek for a second. <laughs> Blood Creek is a movie about like two brothers who accidentally like complete a Nazi ritual and summon like an immortal Nazi zombie to their farm who then like does evil dead shit to them and they have to fight <laughs> yeah. it off. And the Nazi zombie is played by Michael Fassbender and the brothers <laughs> are played by Henry Cavill and Dominic Purcell. It's so good. Uh, but then Joel Schumacher makes 12 people like, which is him making like a small indie drama. Uh, and then he makes trespass, which is probably it's a Nick cage red box thriller, but it has Nicole Kidman in it. So it is probably the literal nadir of Nicole Kidman's career. Right. Yeah. And at one point she, made, and then he dies and that's yeah. Joel Schumacher after this movie, this is like the end of the miracle run. Well, that's that's what I think. That I I don't yeah. think it's anything. I like they would have worked together again. Had Maybe. Joel, how had Joel, Joel Schumacher been developing a project yeah. that would have fit Colin Farrell? I, I guess here's what I'm saying: having not seen, um, twelve, th th there's probably room for Colin Farrell in twelve. That would be I, that's just that's that's more what I'm saying, right? Yeah, no, Into I agree with you. Um, I haven't seen it either, but looking at the cast list, it just can seems I, like he wouldn't fit. Like yeah, looking at I the other actors you? who are in this film, it just looks like it wouldn't fit. Can I just read some other actors who are in this movie? Yeah, of course. This is insane because I've never seen this movie. I need to make this very clear right now before I say this. None of these people had blown up by the time they were in this movie. Well, one of well, them, except for yeah. Rory Culkin, who had a brief child star career. Not the one I was going to go with. <laughs> and Emma Roberts, who had a brief child star career. Bro, 50 Cent is in this movie. Oh, no, I, that's, 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 not, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's not yeah. what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the fact that there is a Joel Schumacher movie with Rory Culkin, 
Emma Roberts, Billy Magnuson, Jeremy Allen White from Shameless, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Finn Whitrock is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he got a lot of young talent for that Narrated movie. Like he still had an eye. Keith for Sutherland. Yeah, Fifty Cent is in this movie. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, here's the other reason I think Colin Farrell's in this movie. I do think it's a cheeky reference to Ordinary Decent Criminal. And, oh, uh, in Veronica Guerin, you mean? In Veronica Guerin, yeah. Yeah. And the reason I think that is because early on in the movie, uh, yeah. Kieran Hines, <laughs> Kieran Hines refers to Martin Cahill as an ordinary decent criminal. And himself. And almost like winks at the camera when he does it. <laughs> like he really puts mustard on it. It's the schumacher moment in this movie. So I think Joel Schumacher was just like, oh, that'll be a cute little tip of the hat for anyone who's a real caller. A right? movie that exists. Ordinary yeah. decent criminal. <laughs> and, and a movie that like comes out in the United States right around the time this movie does too. I think after uh, this movie comes out. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. I think it's the best scene in the movie. And I think especially with how like kind of inert this movie is, there is something palpable and electric and so much fun just about watching Colin Farrell and Kate Blanchett flirt. Yeah. Like the movie really comes to life in that moment. I don't know if I think it's the best scene in the movie. I've, I, there are some scenes that I like genuinely move me. This is definitely, as you say, the most electric scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The th- two things I like about this movie, first of all, I think it's the most visually stylish scene in the movie in a movie that is very muted for Joel. Um, because basically there's a couple shots of strip clubs. That yeah, you could tell Joel Schumacher's doing love, this thing. What I love about this movie, this scene, is that even though it's very brief, because they're standing in front of a window, like ev- yes, every yes. shot either the background is behind the window or they're shooting through the window at them, which means you get these like beautiful, like light patterns as the reflections like shift and distort around them. And it's like, like I said, Joel Schumacher, the ultimate showman, the ultimate window salesman knows he's got this kind of marquee star in his movie. And it's like kind of just putting the juice in a little bit just by shooting through a window and catching the reflection. The other thing I like about this scene a big idea in this movie, especially in the back half of this movie, is the sense that violence could erupt at any time, right? That that's how much of a target yeah. she's painted on her back. I really love the tension of this scene where this street tough starts talking to her and you are kind of sitting there on the edge of your seat being like, is this a hitman?" right? This is Colin Farrell. This is a big star. Why is he talking to her? What's going to happen? And it's completely innocuous, right? Yeah. All Farrell does, or Spanky McSpank does is flirt with Veronica and he does so unsuccessfully. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, this, this, this street thug aspect of him is what's coming into play here where um, when Veronica is around other journalists or her family they're so clean cut and classically irish style classically styled in an irish way and um he's not you know he's got neck tattoos and a leather jacket i think it's that i think it's also the casting that we're we're kind of destabilized by having he's the only he's no one else in this movie is blanchett famous and then all of a sudden colin farrell who's maybe more famous than blanchett at this point is in the movie and you're waiting for there to be a payoff for him to be in it. And there is none, but I think that's the interesting payoff is 
is is how how kind of thrown off the movie's rhythms this scene it is it is yeah. interesting and it's like the opposite happens in sicario when bernthal shows up it's john you know? bernthal and sicario the sicario he is the sicario, is, sicario. i thought wait no 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 no, no, no do no, i have no. to recap sicario benicio del toro <laughs> is the sicario in sicario true but Bernthal is also a Sicario. That's insane. I love Bernthal, and I could not tell you who Bernthal plays. Okay, she's movie. sitting at the bar with Kaluuya, and then Kaluuya's? you see a guy walk wait, in. Wait, hold up. Time out. Yeah. Time out. Daniel Kaluuya is in Sicario? Okay, let me make let me just uh, verify this before it sounds like I'm saying something racist with it being like another black actor. I'm pretty sure it's I'm leaving it Kaluuya. in. Oh my God, uh, Daniel Kaluuya is yeah. Sicario. She's okay. sitting at the bar. She's sitting at the. Bar. Thanks for trying to gaslight me there. No, she's no, no, sitting no, at the no, bar no, with Kaluuya, no, no, no. and then Potter, they're having Potter. a conversation. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just. I just have no memory of Sicario. <laughs> they're sitting at the bar. They're having a conversation, <laughs> and you see Bernthal enter frame from the back of the screen. And as any like any interested movie fan at the time which you probably are if you're going to see sicario you, you're you're immediately like is that john bernthal and then he starts talking to her and then you're like why is john bernthal in this movie and then he's the hitman that the oh. that the cartel sends to kill um okay. emily blunt yeah I, I do just want to clarify connor <laughs> I, I saw that movie once <laughs> like it's been almost 10 years like, yeah no it's also yeah, it like, has been a while yeah, when, when you're like like okay yes Sure, Kaluuya might have a big role in Sicario. You also do have to remember that Get Out did not come out. No, so Kaluuya, I don't think that he was point, necessarily... For I think... this guy, he was the like the 10th most important guy on Skins, right? Yeah. Like, that's all I knew about Daniel Kaluuya I think his episode of Black Mirror had been released. Never seen it. Oh. Uh, I liked interesting. Skins. I would like to talk I... about that episode, maybe. <laughs> well, well, maybe. I've seen yeah. one episode of Black Mirror. Which one is it? The one Marina made us watch. Oh, with uh, uh, the Bryce Dallas Bryce Howard. Dallas Howard. Yeah, it is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It was directed by Joe Wright. If that is what fucking Joe Wright can get out of your scripts, I am not watching when hack British TV directors try to do that <laughs> shit. You know, because they ain't Joe Wright, buddy. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. That's yeah. where I'll leave it. Um, I just I love this scene. I love their banter. I mean, I've gone on the record as just loving watching movie stars interact with each other, and mm -hmm. it makes me want to wish we had gotten a Colin Kate rom com. Well, right? there's still time, Nancy Myers. You wish that through. there was. You wish <laughs> that there. Was... Let me just let me just take it a step further. The relationship that. Veronica Guerin and Spanky McSpank have for 30 seconds on screen is yeah. what you wish the relationship between her and Kieran Hines character would have. But Kieran Hines could deliver that if the movie wanted He could, to. but it doesn't allow him. He doesn't have the space. I to do love that. Kieran Hines. Yes, he's a great actor. Fantastic yeah. actor. Yeah. Okay. You know who else is a great actor? Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. It's great. Kate Blanchett. Is it Blanchett or Blanchett? You're saying Blanchett. I've always said Blanchett. Yeah, I don't. I might be wrong. You know what the funniest joke in 21 Jump Street is? Is when uh, Channing wrong, Tatum is like, we no. have Kate Blanchett. And then they're like, what are you saying? And he's trying to say oh. carte blanche. And he oh, just yeah. keeps saying over that and over again. That's not, 
That's not the best joke in 21 Jump Street. The best it's a joke pretty good one, though. The best joke in 21 Jump Street is Channing Tatum taking the acid and just writing the number four on oh, the yeah, that, yeah. over and over again. Funny movie. That's a funny movie. Yeah, it's not a very good movie, but that is like one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life is Channing Tatum oh, in the first one. I love Channing Tatum. I don't care for those movies. Sorry. Sorry, Kanye West. I know, I know 21 Jump Street is now like maybe the most important American film in the past 10 years. I yeah. don't think it's very good, but also thank you for your service. Oh man, we, we don't need to talk about the Jump Street movies. I'm not going to necessarily just, disagree with you. I just think I'm going to say this and then we are not going to address it at all. I just think it is very funny that Kanye credits Jonah Hill with curing his anti-Semitism <laughs> weeks after Jonah Hill writes and stars in the most anti-Semitic American movie I've seen in several years. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Where do we go from here? Um, Kate, Kate, Kate. Yeah. Kate, yeah. Kate, Kate Blanchett. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. I guess I've never really yeah. looked that hard into it. Um, one of my favorite actors just truly one of my favorite actors yes but also then when i look at her filmography i'm like wait really is she one of my favorite actors but then i'm like but the highs are so high that's the thing with her is the highs are so high that like i can excuse the church now i think that i think there's an issue with her where it's very difficult for her especially as she has entered middle age it's very difficult for her to escape typecasting because she just looks yes. so regal she and looks you very... can't have somebody that looks that regal and that angelic and you the can't other... really cast that person as a normal person in your movie which sucks the other thing about Kate Blanchett is if you're of a certain age uh like if you're if you're of if you're an Oscar type of a certain age you kind of got to pick a camp uh, between Nicole Kidman Kate Blanchett Julianne Moore Renee Zellweger. Yeah, that is and true. I'm, I am ultimately a Nicole Kidman guy. Uh, See, I so think maybe, I fall more towards Blanchett. That's fine. And that's why I'm yeah. saying like, you have to pick a camp. But that's what I'm saying is my appreciation for Kate Blanchett is almost more intellectual than it is like in my soul. Whereas I would take a knife for Nicole Kidman. Whereas like I'm, I'm mad at Joel Schumacher for making Nicole Kidman be in a DTV uh, Nicolas Cage movie. But if, yes, if yes. Blanchett was in that, I would be like, uh, rough for Blanchett. Nicole's in that, and I'm like, I am mad, and it's also probably good. But I will say, I don't think Kate would have had the cultural weight that Kidman did in the AMC, uh, whatever you want. Well, that's, call none that. of them would. None of them <laughs> would, baby. That's why Nicole's the best. What do you call that? The AMC What promo? is that? Yeah, just a promo? Oh, it has, it really has a, a name. It yeah. has a name. Hold on. I think it's on her IMDb. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, something I famously said. I wish they would stop running. Um, I just want the sequel. I the don't sequel. want the sequel. I we've said this. We've said this on the. Uh, but Kate Blanchett, a great actress. My just my my other thing with Kate Blanchett is that I I do think her two Oscar wins are for like her two worst performances. Maybe I don't. Maybe, I agree with I agree with one of them. I have not seen that movie in a very long time. Which um, one? Well, like, let's go into the Mount Rushmore, and then sure. we can talk about the movies more in depth. Well, I, first... I just gotta, I just gotta look up 
that Nicole came in AMC Provo. What's it called? It has a name. I've definitely like a seen, short film title. I've definitely seen AMC after it's become so popular refer to it as having a title, but I can't find the title. Um, I apologize, listeners. Also, to clarify this, I I love. Oh, it's called We Make Movies Better. That's what it's actually better. called. Is We Make Movies Better. We I make love movies better, which is what she says to me. We make movies better. <laughs> um, I love the Nicole promo. It's just, you know, it's overplayed by this point. It's been a year and a half. Yeah. Um, I I just think it's maybe time to to, to let it go. You know, it's no longer making movies better. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to see a sequel because I feel like the sequel is going to be their version of the fucking horrible Regal promo where they say they quote like Zoomer movies at each other. Yeah. Ugh. I miss um, the days of the like the roller coaster CGI roller you, coaster. You you went first last time. I'm going first this time. Did I? Yeah, because last time was Affleck, and you went. You went. Oh yeah. You went you the went town, which is a great movie, which like I was caught off guard because I I, I was not <laughs> anticipating that I would have to defend the town. You like you 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 thought yeah. you were gonna say the town and I was gonna start a mosh pit. And it's no, like, not, just you, not a mosh pit, but I thought I was gonna say the town, and you guys were gonna be like, Yep, good movie, and then we would just move on to the you, next you, you know what the yeah. funniest thing about that is, Connor? Like two no. minutes before you said the town, I had said on mic that I don't like the town. And I you just weren't listening. Yeah. I had said that I don't think he's a good director or good. Specifically, I said I don't think he's a, a good at directing himself. Uh, I'll just recap what I've you know what's, I you know what's like a better, I you know what's a better movie. Wait, wait, just let me town. just let me re-say it because because <laughs> I think he allows himself to be menacing in that movie in a way that like you know, you other directors a, have not allowed him. You know, it's a better movie than the town. Uh, there's a lot of movies that are better than the town. Deep water. Deep water is horrendous. <laughs> I don't regret taking not giving the veto, but like I because what were you gonna pick if it wasn't deep water? <laughs> I told you what I was gonna pick if it wasn't. Yeah, deep I can't water. remember. It was well, gonna be Batman for Superman Dawn of Justice. Yeah, see, I, I think I'd rather have deep water than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going first. Here you going first. I'm going first. Okay. Okay. Cape Blanchett, Mount Rushmore. You'll never guess what I'm gonna pick. Really? Yeah. You never guess. It's it's fuck. It's fucking dark. It's fucking fuck. What the fuck do you want? From me? <laughs> what the fuck do you want from me? It's I thought you were dark. being. Ser- I thought you were being serious for a second. It's fucking tar are you fucking kidding me it's like the best performance anyone has ever given in a movie yeah, she's oh unbelievable fucking god i mean she's unbelievable the thing about tar and i almost don't have the words for it but first of all it's the thing i always said is if you're if you're that center to a movie which she is that that really is a like almost never off-screen performance uh a movie too which is not necessarily a plot-driven movie no then yeah. Your performance is the movie's quality and vice versa. And that's a perfect movie and it's a perfect worse. The other thing I think about this movie that I really picked up in my third viewing is how much she seems to be uh, lying to and manipulating the camera as much as she is people on screen. That she's never even honest in private moments because she knows she's not private. It's almost Jean Dielman-y in that way where Daphne Selrig somewhat seems like she knows that she's on film and she's behaving accordingly. And to tar but but, it, but again it, it it doesn't even i don't think it's like a, a meta thing in so much so that it is that 
this person is so full of shit that she can't drop the bullshit. Even in her moments alone, she's still playing the character that she has spent. She is still playing the character of of Lydia Tong. Yeah. who is a character and that's why the, the the one moment where she she breaks down and you see the real person is when she's in her childhood bedroom yeah at the end I, I, but it's, it's just just the fact that the first 10 minutes of that movie are her having a conversation with Adam Gottnick and it's so thrilling and enticing and it, it's it's just the best I, I can't even describe it you know it's good everyone knows it's good it's fucking tar yeah it's gonna go down in history as like a fucking one of the best performances of all time. I've said that before I stand by. I think that's probably true. I, I still, that's a movie that I've spent a very short amount of time with thus far. And I still need to make more out of my um, opinions of fields is directing, I think, but Blanche is just, just one of the best performances ever given ever. Not not uh, even in movies, movies also, not even like regardless if you're talking about the, the screen versus the stage or television versus film. It's just one of the best performances that has ever been given by a performer in the history of this. this form. It's extraordinary. Yeah. It, we almost should bulldoze the rest of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> it's just, yeah, almost. Almost. <laughs> just the, the monument, the Blanchett monument. Um, I would love to do that, but I, I'm going to give you a twofer of two films that are that. I absolutely adore her and I adore her in them. And I think that she elevates both of these films to a higher status than they would be if she was not in them and they are made by the same person. So number two, I'm going to go with Carol and number three, I'm going to go with, I'm not there. How do you feel about that? Both yeah, of them. Yeah. You don't like either of them. Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I find her performance at Carol to be one of the more heartbreaking performances I've ever seen. In my life, and (laughs) okay, no, this is your this is your opportunity to to say things to to say what you believe, Cole. No, not gonna go with it. I'm not there. I think she she's just with with a movie where you have multiple performers uh, taking on interpretations of the same character or the same kind of being she's the one that you walk away remembering the most. Um, if you take Heath Ledger off the board, which I think it's impossible to separate him with the way that his life ended and the types of films that he was in or going to be in um, in those final few years that he lived, I think uh, Blanchett's character in that film is the one that is the most that has the most in- intricacies and has the most subtleties to it despite there being a lot of broad acting work at play. No thoughts? No thoughts? No, thought, no, thought, no thoughts. Head is empty. <sighs> I'm a little annoyed that you did the double hands. Um, just because I was hoping you would take another obvious one off the board uh, so I could get a little freaky with it for my last choice. Oh, I'm sorry. But you didn't. And so I have to be double obvious, which means this is quadruple obvious. Is is the Bob Dylan thing not just a Hepburn thing again, though? No. Where it's just like a very showy impression. Like, that's my point. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I think because I think mm. uh, the man, I wish I, I can't remember. Isn't her name? Jude Quinn. Judas. Yeah, because they're calling it. They're like, they're calling him Judas. Right. I, yeah. 
Is it not just the Hepburn thing again, where it's just, it's all surface? I don't think so. Because I think what's remarkable of that one is that I'm actually seeing the man that she's playing on screen okay. when I watch it. I like the Hepburn one too. I don't think it's her best performance though. I don't think it's a bad performance. I just think, which I think leads into my feelings about the other Academy Award. And Carol, Carol is, Carol is fine. Are we in agreement that she's bad in Blue Jasmine? I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't remember it being a movie. I like, but because I think Sally Hawkins is incredible in Blue Jasmine. uh, And I think Blanchett is kind of annoying and showy, which she can often be. Um, Yeah. Ugh, I want to be cool. I want to be cool. I want to do something fun. I want to. I don't Hannah. put the obvious. Those are the two. Uh, the, no, I, I know tar. what the obvious one is. Okay. I, can I just, can I just rattle off a couple things I want to be cool enough to pick before I say what I'm going to pick? Okay. Yeah. I want to pick Hannah. Cause that's a really fun performance. Uh, I want, I want to pick where'd you go Bernadette. Uh, because that's actually a really layered and internal and beautiful performance. Uh, no one remembers this. I want to pick Cinderella because no <laughs> one's ever had as much fun on screen as she does playing the wicked stepmother in the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella. But I can't believe you didn't pick this. Connor, you're making me look like a nerd. That's the other thing is I'm okay, cool. Just... I don't even like this movie that much, but it has to be said. It's the fucking fellowship of the fucking ring. No. What the fuck oh my are you God. talking about? Why is this the one you're going with? Because it's the best scene in the movie. It's the best scene in the movie. Okay, it's like, so good. It's she's great. So, it's what you said about her being regal. It's pure presence. Of course. Right? It's pure yeah. statuesque presence. And then the fact that it turns from that on a dime to just this like almost Shakespearean like tumult. And then settles right back down into the present. It's a total like temperature check for that entire movie. It seems like it came out of something better, right? That's the thing. I don't give a shit about those movies. They're dumb and for babies. But that scene with her as Galadriel in the first one, and and because it is part of the performance, the fact that she has to handle the fucking 10 minutes of bullshit voiceover at the beginning and she makes it work she makes it work that is hard work the movie hinges on those two scenes of her the trilogy hinges on those two scenes of her in fellowship she's so fucking good in that that wouldn't have worked if it was anything else it's like how if colin (laughs) farrell's not running here and the whole movie doesn't work i i can't believe you're giving me shit about not taking that I, I don't I, feel like that's a necessary one to take. Of all, I think of it is. Her entire breadth of work. I don't think that's but a necessary one But it's so good. It's so good. It is. It is. Like, and I'm I definitely pick, not going to veto it. I, I, like, I understand. Cinderella. I want to pick Cinderella so Cinderella bad, would be a weird one, though. Weird one to pick, I think. <laughs> it's, it's really, she's really good at it, though. No, I probably would have gone with Bernadette. Um, she is, but doesn't she do a similar thing in other films? I might be losing it. Here. I think she's better at that right. shtick. In you know, what's another one she's really fun in, like everything she's been in, but specifically Ocean's Eight. Yeah, she is. Where really she's fun basically playing bored Lydia, Lydia Tar in Ocean's yeah. Eight. In a way. Well, they let her be the Brad Pitt of Ocean's Eight. Yeah, and she's so much perfect fun. for her. Ocean's Eight. I think she's really good in Benjamin Button. 
Um, I think she's fine in Benjamin Button. I think that movie, you know, um, well, that movie devastated me when I yeah, saw it I, and she has to hold the back half of the film. I, I don't care for Benjamin Button that much. I think she's fine in Benjamin Button. Uh, Tilda Swinton is great in Benjamin Button. Tilda Swinton's also That's great, the but performance I think, I think uh, Blanchett holds the, the back half of the film together because that's when Pitt starts yeah. like decaying essentially and all the emotional weight is put onto her character. Um, um, I also, I really love her in Notes on a Scandal. Yeah. Um, I movie. just didn't want to pick two movies where she molests people. Uh, <laughs> um, two, 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 I want to shout out just because I think they're really fun uses of her as a cameo are Eyes Wide Shut and Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I do um, not remember her in Eyes Wide Shut. She's just She's voice, the woman right? who warns, she's the voice of the woman who warns him at the party. Oh, really? She dubs so she's over. She's just the voice. She's just the voice. Oh, I there's that, that there's that whole okay. there's that whole tension in Eyes Wide Shut where he thinks it's the girl he met earlier, but he's yeah. not sure. Um, and I believe it is that actress playing her in the scene, but dubbed over by Kate Blanchett's voice. Gotcha. Um, she's uh she's really good and talented, Mr. Ripley. So this was the other thing I wanted to say. Yeah, Mr. Ripley, Life Aquatic. Remember liking her in those movies? I have not seen them in so long that I I couldn't really say i think she has kind of i think i think ripley would be would here's the thing it's like it's a great performance it doesn't belong on on her mount rushmore yeah that's also the one that's the one performance in that movie that i'm not constantly thinking of as being like an incredible performance because i'm always thinking about damon hoffman peltrow and jude in that movie exactly like i am yeah Always thinking about those performances. Have I'm you constantly seen... thinking about Hoffman in that movie. Like, <sighs> have non-stop. you seen? Have you seen Manifesto? No. Manifesto is really interesting. It was originally an installation piece um, in a museum that mm. then got later edited together into being a movie. But the shtick of Manifesto is it is just Kate Blanchett playing a series of different characters. Each character who proceeds to just give a 10 minute monologue that and individually each monologue is kind of a collage of real world manifestos that share a thematic theme. So like, let me just pull this. What's what's a good example. There's a scene where she is a, um, She's like giving a eulogy at a funeral, but everything she's saying is just Dadaist texts, like like oh, quotes wow. from Dadaist texts. There's, there's the best scene. The scene you would really like is um, uh, there's one where she's like an elementary school school teacher, but she's just reading different like film theory manifestos. So like there's a, there's a great gag where she like goes around and corrects their projects, and each correction she's giving is a note from the Dogma Manifesto. <laughs> uh, but then she like goes into like brackages, like, like theories and stuff like that. Oh, and wow. she reads and she recites Werner Herzog's um, yeah, we love thing that. about the ecstatic truth, but she does, she has like art manifestos. She does like political manifestos. She does theoretical existent philosophical manifestos. Right. Like she's just like reading theory out in this whole thing as these different characters, stockbrokers, newscasters, punks, the homeless school teachers, you know, stay at home moms, blah, blah, blah. 
it could be the most annoying thing in the world. It works because she's good and she yeah. brings a lot of fun. And it, she's someone it's fun to hear make a meal out of something. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you. Yep. I think she's kind of boring in Veronica Garen. Sorry. It's just one of those things where it's like the filmmaking doesn't really support what the actors are attempting yeah. to do. You know, we've watched a lot of movies like this yeah. um, so far. Uh, I, I'll say... I think, again, it's like, I think she gives a good performance in Life Aquatic. I think that that's a performance in that film that Wes Anderson doesn't necessarily know what it wants, what he wants from it. It's from like 10 years. Um, I think the issue with her and the aviator (laughs) uh, is that I don't think she has great chemistry with Leo in that Mm, film. And I think that's the issue. It has nothing to do with her or what she's doing. I think it's just that there's there's so little um, attraction between them, pulling them together. Uh, I mean, such... she's great, and I like her in Nightmare Alley. She's she's kind of fantastic, and don't look up. Like she's very movie. I, yeah, I, I don't. She's actually yeah, she's like quietly incredible, and don't look up. That's yeah. that's a hilarious performance. Um, the thing that's interesting about her is because I I put her in that camp right where i kind of said like she's always turn of the century she was very much kind of considered a contemporary of kidman zellweger more those are the the women i think of her as being in conversation with but it's always so interesting because by the time i'm like aware of awards movies in like the early 2000s she's fully enshrined by the time i see fellowship of the ring i am aware of her status as like one of the great living actors right yeah it had but unlike those other women i named it was almost overnight with her that's something i think is so interesting about kate blanchett because she makes in 1997 she makes this movie called oscar and lucinda and she gets like good notices for it like all those other women i named get good notices for things but the thing is she then gets cast off that in elizabeth in 98 and it's immediately she is fucking kate blanchett the icon when she gonna win an oscar right there's no there's no like minor league system for her like there are for most actors it's also Ed difficult Norton, to conceive yeah. of a contemporary who could pull off what she's no one to do could. In Elizabeth. Very few people do. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like something that happens in the studio era where yeah, marketing exactly. machines could decide that thing. But like that's three years before Lord of the Rings, right? Like, and then she makes Eyes Wide Chat, she makes Talented Mr. Rib. Like, she's just off to the races immediately. And when she wins the Oscar for the Aviator, people are like, finally, it had been like five years. Nicole had been around for forever. <laughs> you know yeah. yeah julianne moore had been around forever she has to wait another 10 years to win her oscar and then she's just kind of around she's making interesting choices you know yeah no she's definitely in that like uh that upper echelon of acting royalty you know what and she's she got next been. you know what she's got next though right no I don't oh know. buddy she's in the cursed borderlands movie oh really she's the lead well, you know, have you ever played the, Have you played the Borderlands games? I have, yeah. She plays Lilith. Oh, really? The protagonist, the first one. Um, that's interesting. Know, it's because she's worked with Eli Roth before, and uh, Eli Roth was the original director on that thing when it shot several years ago. Um, <laughs> she shot that pre-tar. She's doing reshoots now. 
man. Uh, Cause apparently it's a turd and they fired Eli Roth. I'm sorry. Eli Kate Roth. Blanchett, Quit. Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Ugh. It's going to be so bad. Edgar Ramirez, Florian Montanu, man. The from we... the guy from uh, Creed two. Gotta fucking do better by Edgar Ramirez. I'm sorry. <laughs> that man is too handsome and too talented to yeah. be like the tenth lead in the fucking Borderlands movie. <laughs> I know no one saw Wasp Network. God, I just remembered his last two movies were the Three Five Five and Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise. Oh man, <laughs> bad <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Is he is. not in that boxing movie that's not good? Hands of Stone. He's in that's Hands not of Stone. A, yeah. That's not a very good movie. But it Girl was on like... the train. His, man, his. Oh. It's so bad because he's so good in Joy. And oh, he's everything her ex-husband, he, right? He does after Enjoy. Joy is just dreadful. Yeah. And then, again, he's really good in Wasp Network. But everyone hated Wasp Network because uh, that movie's so weird. He's in the Bourne Ultimatum. Yes, he is. He is, of course, in Carlos, and he's fucking next level good in Carlos. I don't know if you've ever seen Carlos. I have, yeah. The the five and a half hour Olivia Assayas movie. Yeah. Uh, I fucking love that movie. Uh, do better by him. Don't put him in Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise is Isn't bad. Carlos the guy that Dave the Jackal is based off of also? Am I wrong? I don't think so, because I think Dave the Jackal predates Carlos the Jackal. Okay. No, I am so, so, so wrong. Wait, no, I think he, I think that novel might pre, I think I might be right. I think that novel might predate. I think maybe even Carlos and Jackal might be named after that character. So it's the um, other way around. Yeah. Going back though, John Cruz sucks. Uh, I just want to shout this out. It is bad Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's good Pirates of the Caribbean. Part, first Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, baby. See it. Okay. It's a good time. Put it on the list. Yeah. I just think Blanche is It has Pirates of the Caribbean vibe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I just think Blanchett's kind of just bored in this a little. I don't know. It's it's a very like show up and say your lines performance, and that's not what I want out of her. You know, I kind of want yeah. big. And she's she's not playing big, and I don't know if I'm interested in her not playing. It's big. just such a like um again, they keep however for however many times they try to say she's not a martyr, it's just a martyr on a crusade film. It's you know so, what I'm talking about? It's so interesting at the end of this movie. Um, they say like everyone in Ireland remembers where they were when they found out Veronica Guerin died. Like she's fucking JFK. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then and then or like I Princess saw, Diana. Or like Princess Diana. And then yeah. I saw Colin say that at the at like the premiere getting interviewed by the press. He the they were like, did you know? did you know much about the story when it happened? He's like, I knew a little about her. I certainly remember where I was when she died. Everyone does. And I'm like, did they tell him to say that? Or is that just how big this death was? Cause it, like you said, it's a small country. It could be a, it could have been a huge deal, man. I don't know. I don't know. And this movie doesn't inspire me to want to know more. That's the, that's the problem yeah. with this movie. I don't, I don't care enough to try to solve these questions. I think the thing um, is because Ireland has such a small population that yeah. it's like these people become celebrity just because there's so few other people living there. Yeah. And that, but it, that doesn't yeah. prevent them from being involved <sighs> in the dangerous aspects of life at hand. But it just, 
It just really feels like they cast Kate Blanchett because she was a big star and she does look like the real woman. She does, yeah. Um, but beyond that, I don't think it's good casting. I don't think Joel is really working with her. And I don't think it's a very good performance. Can I say this, by the way? I fucking hate her death scene. I think it's terribly done. Yeah. Because because the thing about this death scene is... In the beginning is, or at the end or both? At the end. I'm specifically saying at the end. This movie starts with a cold open, which is her like going about her day and getting some parking tickets cleared up. Um, and it's all very like bubbly and light and comic right and silly in a way and then yeah. out of nowhere in the middle of this like jaunty energy she like stops at a red light and these this motorcyclist pulls up next to her and shoots her in her car and it's very sudden it's it's jarring i don't know if it's jarring necessarily in a good way but as an opening it is admittedly a very st- stunning thing when you then get to the end of the movie because the whole movie plays out in flashback leading up to her murder and we get back to this death. You've seen Malcolm X, Connor, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This movie is doing this. this movie is trying to do the Malcolm X thing, which is listeners, if you've never seen Malcolm X, you fucking should. Um <laughs> the, like is last... it Spike Lee's best movie? No, no. You it's think 25th hour. It's, it's just no do the right thing is his best best movie. Oh, okay. Then yeah. 25th hour, then fucking Crooklyn. I'm going to yeah. the Matt for Crooklyn, then Malcolm X. They are all perfect movies, and they're all better than anyone else's best movie. Okay, I'm bought in. I co-sign. Yeah. Yeah. I co-sign that ranking there. Um, That's the Mount Rushmore. We just did it. No, right? we no, no. did it. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I want to talk about it if we're going to do that. Yeah, no, um, I, get, I get what you mean. At the, at the end of Malcolm X, and really like for a long stretch at the end of Malcolm X, it's almost like 10 minutes leading up to his assassination there is this very world weary sense that he knows he is going to die and the inevitability as, of yeah, it yeah he doesn't yeah. like literally know that he's going to be shot this day he is just aware that he is going to be killed and therefore everything he does as he makes his way through his day on the day of his assassination is just suffused with this wariness and this sadness of the knowledge of it and when the when Veronica Guerin cuts back to her death at the end, and it's they, they really rush through this, but they try to do the same thing where they're replaying the footage we had seen earlier with additional context of them planning for the murder, with the same sort of like melancholic, you know, remorseful tone as in Malcolm X. But it doesn't fucking work. A, if she doesn't know she's gonna die. So you get these like comic, like her chatting happily on the phone as like dramatic, sad music plays in the background. And B, if you already played the scene kind of as like a comic joke in the beginning, it just is bullshit, I think. Yeah. I, don't know. I think that's what Ebert gets at, though, is that Maybe. she feels so perfected by her minor celebrity status that even I- though she has blatantly threaten these men in person you know face to face i don't think the movie i don't think the movie earns it there i think the scene where gilligan beats the shit out of her i think the movie earns it there i, I was when you were talking about feral i was gonna say i think that's the best sequence in the movie yeah, that that's that, the other great 
that scene stretching into when she arrives at her mother's house yeah. and her mom like consoles her on the steps. I think that's the best sequence. Because what but happens it's hard is, to say that's the best yeah. sequence when it's a woman getting like, no, but it's so it's so Lord. striking and upsetting. Yeah. Like that's it, it, it nails the tone it's going for. Because what happens, listeners, yeah. is it's she's shocking. Been tr- she's been trying yeah. to counter Cahill. And everyone's like, he's too dangerous. He he sticks his head down. Gilgan, sorry. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to get him. And she's like, fuck it. I'm a brazen journalist. Let me do a brazen movie journalist thing. And she literally just goes to his house and rings his doorbell. And when she answers the the answer the door, she tries to get him on the record. And like you think it's gonna be this like dramatic bat, like the fucking heat de Niro. Uh, yeah Pacino scene right and she 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 rings the doorbell he opens the door he sees her and then he just starts beating the shit out of her right like it's like it's there there there's no back and forth he's just just kicking her and hitting her and shoving her into her car and leaving her bruised and battered and he rips her shirt open he rips she her has shirt. A it's, and then he threatens to rape her son like but it's like you were saying, it's, that's the scene where it nails the fucking, she's overconfident and she doesn't realize what she's getting into. Because it's so scary and it's so realistic. Yeah, I don't, yeah. It's wild that he's a threatens to rape her son. That, that maybe is a bit too much, Joel. I, yeah, I, it's, but Joel Schumacher loves doing stuff like that. Yeah, but if you're going to do loves, stuff like that. He loves whole... having like a movie that like on paper when you're reading it sounds very sentimental and sounds very Hollywood and then just sewing in some like obscenely grotesque you dialogue. need You need more of that. Yeah. You need more of that if you're going to do it. It's just, It comes out of nowhere and it's weird. And like I said, it comes with the capper of I think what is this very harrowing scene. And once once that comes up, I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm jolted out of the effective drama of it. This this film has escaped me in a way where yeah. I feel like I have not, I did not, it did not prompt me even to think about it this yeah. much. That's what I'm know? saying. Yeah. It is Which is why when I say like, oh, I, 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 it's fine. It's like, but would I ever tell somebody to turn on Veronica Guerin and watch Veronica no, Guerin? No, God. Yeah. It's also interesting. I went, I went to her Wikipedia page. Veronica Garens. Yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, there's a lot of details that are lifted straight from the plot of this movie that then have a big honking citation needed. Oh, really? Uh, so, including the the threats towards her son. That's so, like, funny. I mean, maybe they happened, maybe they didn't, but they immediate research suggests that they probably those are probably all embellishments. Do you have anything else you have to say about this movie? I don't really have anything else to say about this. No, movie. just that the Joan Allen version. Um... Oh, did you watch it? I watched like half of it. It's it's worse than this. No oh, boys. Who directed it? It's not terrible. Uh, let me find it. It's right here. Directed by John McKenzie. Um, that's one where they change all the names and change some of the circumstances. So her name is uh, Sinead Hamilton Sinead in Hamilton. that film. Um, but there's a lot oh. of like her Ooh, husband. John McKenzie, John McKenzie <laughs> made the long good Friday, buddy. Yeah. What? It... Great movie. I'm just saying that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a movie. <laughs> That isn't that isn't the Long Good Friday uh, BFI's like number one British crime film ever. Sure, I think it's be. ranked BFI's greatest British crime film ever. Um, it's it's the BFI's number twenty one best British movie of all time. Yeah, uh, and I, Dan Moore, if you're listening to this, I just glanced at their list of the movies that are above it. Uh, there is at least one Ken Loach movie on that list, and I say, bullshit. <laughs> What's the Ken Loach? 
Phil, that you just scroll past? You know what? That'll be a fun game. I didn't have a game, so that's going to be my game. It's going to be me guessing the the top 10 <laughs> of British films ever. Yeah. Um, in 1999. In 1999. Uh, well, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? No. I don't have much to say about the movie, I don't think. Yeah, I think Other I'm tapped too. Kieran Hines is good. Kim Blanchett's good. Jared McSorley's good. Joel Schumacher by the numbers. Yeah, a better director than this movie. I don't I don't really like any of his films, I don't think. He made Phone Booth. Man, yeah, I don't he made the Lost Phone Boys. Booth. Remember, Ugh, I don't love the so Lost wrong. Boys. You're I don't so so I like wrong. eight millimeter, oddly enough. <laughs> That's like one of the worst ones. I like eight millimeter. Eight millimeter is just so gross that I well, like if, it. If you don't have anything else to say, can you guess what in 1999 the BFI called the 10 best British movies ever made? Gotta give it a shot. Um, is the third man on there? Third man is number one, baby. That's yeah. fucking right. Let's go. Okay. Uh so like the Hitchcocks probably aren't on there, they're considered American. Mm. Hitchcock made quite a few movies. I know. But like, okay, so... Uh, here's what I'll say. These are all very British movies. They're all very British movies. Let's think about it. Let's give it Let's give it the old thought experiment. Um, Talk through Are there it. any Talk from the it. British New Wave on there? In the top like 1960s? 10? Yeah. No, not what okay. I would consider the British New Wave. Here's, here's what I'll say. Three of these movies are after 1960. Interesting. Four of these movies are after 1960. Okay, Sorry, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia British? is number yeah. three. Um, it's hard. It's very difficult to distinguish what you might think is British and what you might think does not. I. Register. These are all movies that, if I were British, I would feel like patriotic about these movies or these filmmakers. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Okay. Um, I don't Bridge like all the these movies. Bridge on the River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai is number eleven. Oh man, just missed it. There uh, might be some other David Lean movies on the list in the top ten. Doctor Zhivago. Doctor Zhivago is not in the top ten. Doctor Zhivago is number twenty-seven. Oh, uh, um, God damn it! What's the David Lean? God damn it! Got the title like right here on the tip of my thumb. This is on the tip of my tongue. This is when the allergies really start killing you. Uh. I'll give you a hint. Number two is maybe the best movie anyone's ever made ever. Okay, that doesn't help. And it's a David Lean movie. And it's a David Lean movie. And it's yeah. not Lawrence of Arabia or Bridge on the Arabia. Kwai. Nope. Or it's um, Close Encounter. You mean Brief Encounter? Is that what the movie's called? Brief, Brief Encounter? Encounter? Yeah. It's fucking Brief Encounter, baby. Let's yeah. go. Oh, okay. oh no, Hepburn, that's a right? movie. No. Yeah. Celia no. Johnson. Celia Johnson. Captain what Hepburn's am I thinking of? You're thinking of Summertime. Summertime. Yeah, okay. not on the list. Is that David Lean, though? That is David Lean. All right, okay. number four is a Hitchcock. The Man Who Knew Too Much? I don't know. No, but you're in the right era. I'm in the right era. Uh, Notorious? No, that's by that point, he's in Hollywood. Rebecca? No. <laughs> uh, you're not. You're just going to get me. It's the 39 Steps. Okay. Like those British programmers he made. Yeah, I'm like, uh, oh, I knew num- it wasn't. I knew it wasn't number- the Lady Vanishes. Like, no. I'm just trying to. Yeah. Number five. Number five is a David Lean movie, <laughs> and not one of the ones I. No. Okay. This movie's good, but it's not fucking 
River Kwai, Dr. Zhivago, Lord Sarabia. Good. I don't think I'm going to get it. And I mean, oh, it's, it's definitely not Ryan's it's, daughter. No, it's great. It's, yeah. it's great expectations. Oh, really? That's number five? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That movie's oh, that movie's pretty good. Yeah, um, but it's weird that that would be on there and Dr. Zhivago wouldn't be. Yeah, on exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or Bridge six, on the River Kwai. Yeah. Number six is a very famous comedy. Um, kind of a launch vehicle for a very, very famous British star. Uh, Not a launch. He had already, you know, he'd already won an Oscar at this point. I'm going to be wrong. Um, kind of the the defining film of one of the big British studios. Not is the Peter Sellers the star? It's not Peter Sellers. It's from 1949. 1949 launch for a big. It didn't launch him. I'm wrong. It didn't launch him. I thought this was a year earlier than it was. Okay. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm getting my things double mixed up. It did launch him. It yeah, did yeah, yeah. launch him. This is like, who's like the most famous British movie star of like the 50s and 60s and 70s? And this movie uh, launched him. Um, he's not a comedian. No, no. This is a comedy. He's not a comedian. He's a movie star. Jesus. I'll give you a hint. He's in the motion picture Star Wars. Oh. So it's Alec Guinness. It's Alec Guinness. I don't know what this. You've is. never seen. It's Kind Hearts and Coronets. I've never seen that. Kind Hearts. That's and number Coronets, six. That's number six. That's okay. like a big British comedy. That is also the movie that like made Ewing Studios, which is like oh, the really? big British comedy studio. You know. Yeah. Uh, he plays. He plays eight characters in that movie. That's like the whole bit of that movie. And it's a comedic uh, performance. It's a comedic performance, yeah. or like some of them at least are comedic. No, he he. It's a it's a it's a black comedy, and he but he's oh, okay. playing. It's about a guy who is murdering his way through a wealthy family so he can end up with the inheritance, and Alec <laughs> Guinness plays every member of the family that gets murdered, men and women. So it's like it's like a big Alec Guinness like showcase. It's the Peter Sellers thing, right? Where he plays yeah, a bunch yeah, of different yeah. wacky characters. Number seven is a fucking Ken Loach movie. Okay. Uh, fuck Ken Loach. Boring. <laughs> Boring filmmaker. I've seen two of his movies. It's not the one that shakes the ball. It's the maybe. big one. It's the big one. It's the one about the dog, right? Guess. Yeah, it's Guess. Yeah. It's guess. a bird, isn't it? I thought it was a dog. No, it's about a bird. It's about a bird. Okay. I haven't seen that one, actually. Uh, I've seen a lot eight, of Ken Loach, but I haven't seen that one. Number eight. This is the one of these that doesn't take place in England. Uh, this movie rules. This movie has a great sex scene. Oh, it's from the early 70s. American stars. Well, an American star and a British star. But it's not Last Tango in Paris. No. Who's the big British uh, star of the British New Wave? Who's the big female British star of the British New Wave? Big female star? Yeah. Vanessa Redgrave? The other one. Has she been a Bond girl? No. Too famous. Already has, has an Oscar. Wins an Oscar the same year as Goldfinger. Oh, shit. Big star. Who's the American star? Like, I think uh, who's a hit on the American star. Okay. What actor do you most associate with Joel Schumacher? Kiefer Sutherland. So it's Donald Sutherland. What's this film called? I know this film. British movie. Early 70s. Yeah. Big sexy Donald Sutherland, it's, but it's this film kind of has a similar structure to T- Last Tango in Paris. No, right? it doesn't. I'm, no, because it it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Oh, and it's uh, it's uh, Don't Look Now. It's Don't Look Now. Yeah, number nine is actually the best movie ever made, and probably the most British movie ever made. 
Is James Mason in it? No. No. Um, it's, it's maybe the best looking movie anyone's ever made. Maybe the best looking movie Truly. anybody's ever made. And it was made after 1960s? No, this is from 1948. 1948. It's British as hell. Now, is it Hitchcock? No. No. It's uh, What director is better than Hitchcock of that generation? Well, I would say Carol Reed. Ooh, but, really? You would? Interesting. Yeah. It's not Carol Reed. I don't know if I... Uh, I think I would say... Uh, he's more... Carol Reed, in my I, perception of it, was a better at art design, I think, than Hitchcock. While Hitchcock uh, was better at, like, where to place the camera. You, and you, you, gotta, you know who's better at art design than Carol Reed? This guy. This guy. This guy's probably on my Mount Rushmore of directors. This is like gonna be like I feel really stupid for not getting guessing you this do. film. It's yeah. beautiful. It's oh beautiful. Okay. Like fucking like <laughs> blow your brain out, beautiful. Um and it's very British. Martin Scorsese loves this movie. Oh, it's uh it's a matter of life and death. No, it's the other one. <laughs> um General Blimp. <laughs> no, it's Carl the other Blimp. one. <laughs> It's the red shoes. It's the fucking. (laughs) Just like roll them up. That was 1948. 1948. That's insane, bro. Yeah, that movie feels like it was made in 1967. Yeah, I know. That movie feels like it was made in the future. That movie might be the that movie might be the most beautiful. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Um, I just want to make this point. The fucking Michael Powell, Emmerich Pressburger dream run, like the ones of all the movies that people love. 49th yeah. Parallel, Colonel Blimp, One of Our Aircraft, Canterbury, Norm Going, Matter of Life and Death, Black Narcissus, Red Shoes, Small Black Room, Tales of Hoffman. That's 10 years. Is there a better 10-year run? No, 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 no. And then number 10 is a movie from the 90s. It's like their token, like contemporary pick. It's the big British movie from the 90s. It is not an English movie. Pointedly, it is not an English movie. Oh, but what's the big British dorm room poster ass British sensation from the 90s? Train spotting. It's train spotting. Yeah, I think that's a good top 10, even if I quibble with if you're going to have three. I don't I'm not opposed to having three David Lee movies in there. I wouldn't have one of them be great expectations. No, definitely not. Because I I, also, man, yeah, I fucking love Dr. Zhivago so much. I actually think that I really like Lawrence of Arabia, but I think that Dr. Zhivago and Bridge on the River Choir are better than Lawrence of Arabia. And yeah. so Dr. Zhivago is kind of just mesmerizing, especially because it's a very like it's it's a film that embraces the how messy that period of history is and just like the relate like the messiness like it that movie does what ryan's daughter wants to do i've never seen ryan's daughter it's horrible and it's very offensive it like hates irish people truly and dr zhivago you know dr zhivago if you adjust for inflation it's still one of the 10 highest grossing movies of all time i would believe it like great great soundtrack as well like amazing score for that film I feel yeah. like everyone now thinks of Dr. Zhivago as being the like too opulent, too long, too kind of swoony follow up to Lawrence of Arabia. But it was like a fucking Star Wars Sound of Music Godfather sized hit. Like yeah. it's it's David Lean's biggest movie by far. You get what I mean, far. though. But like at that point in time, yeah. the films that are coming out, they try to especially films that have plots or subplots about um 
romantic relationships. Yes. They try to wrap everything up in such a pre-modernist sense, like to overly return to overly return films to what they were before World War II happened. Mm -hmm. And that film decidedly goes in the opposite direction. Yeah. And it's like people love each other. They do. They make odd decisions. Sometimes history complicates everything when you factor in politics and huge movements that change the, the landscape of how people live and where they live. And for that reason, I think it's my favorite film. Fizz. Although I, I Bridge I mean, on the River Kauai does I, similar things do, just with like brief, a different, completely different story. But brief, brief encounter, my God, brief encounter. Brief encounter is great. Holy yeah. shit. Um, no, I agree with what you're saying, but the other thing about Bridge on the River Kauai, and not really the other thing, just Zhivago. Uh, kind of yeah. build off that that's the one that really feels in conversation with the british new wave that yes, that, it, yes. that it feels yeah. like he is responding to this energy that is coming up and rather than like pushing against it he's trying to see what the meaning of the minds can be and that movie's such a mess but it's such a captivating mess that i i, I like it i i don't know if i like it more than river kwai because that movie is just so fucking rock solid right yeah i, I probably like it a little more than lawrence of arabia though I, I love lawrence of arabia holy shit don't get me Brid- wrong bridge on the river Kwai is the <sighs> platonic ideal of when you're talking about a film that the conclusion of the film like yeah. essentially cannibalizes but also encapsulates what the entire film has been building up to the entire time like you you understand what i mean it completely destroys everything that came before but that destruction that thematic and intellectual destruction like pays it off in the best way imaginable and it's just like every every film about complicated emotions and ideas and how people get led astray due to their own weaknesses is should it strive to do a bridge on the river quad does yeah, I, I I fucking love David Lean. I'm just yeah. gonna put that up. Again, David Ryan's Lee. daughter, bad movie. Don't yeah, I've never it. seen it. I don't like Passage to India. People. Don't like Passage to India. Sorry. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, Donald Sutherland, he is in an erotic thriller that's like essentially the formula of um, Last Tango in Paris, right? Maybe. Am I crazy? I'm I'm pretty sure there is one. Should we both look it up at the same time? Donald I'm Sutherland. Looking at his. Filmography. Erotic movie. Let's see what pops up. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe I may I guess I'm just wrong. You think about Clute? Because he's famously Clute and Clute. No, but great film. Great film. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a game for me? Are we gonna wrap this up? I do. You wanna okay. guess the ringers top ten best movie journalists of all time? <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna ask you outright. Are these all fictional characters or um, there are biopics in the mix? Let me do one quick run yep. through it. They are. No, they're not all fictional. Okay. They're so number one is Wilbur and Bernstein. That is number two. It's number two. Yeah. Number one is even more realistic than that. Is it Zodiac? Because this is the ringer. No. Zodiac That's on the one. list? I, I'm sure Zodiac is on the list, but it's not in the top 10. Okay. The list is like 43. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Movie journalist. Movie journalist. See, I'll say just because I don't, I don't think you're going to guess it if I say this, if I don't yeah. say this. Number one is a documentary. 
Oh, interesting. Is it Errol Morris? Oh, wait, no, I'm not. I read this wrong. Sorry. Oh. It's not a documentary. Well, is Errol Morris on the list for the journalism of a thin good line? Thin blue line. No, no. I no. Take no. wait, cool. Let's go back. Keep, just cut that part oh, out. Where no. Oh background. no, now, now my brain's broken. <laughs> no, because it's really confusing because I read I read something that was essentially just like an honorable mention, but I thought it was okay. in the number one slot. Give me yeah. give me some hints. Okay, number one is from 1984. 1984. Is it the killing fields? It That's is, funny. yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Not a ringery choice, especially to go over. So where's the spotlight crew on this movie? On this the list? spotlight crew is number four. Number four. So give me some yeah. hints for number three. Number three is a comedy that came out very recently. It's a not necessarily a film. About, it's not necessarily a film about journalism. It's definitely a film about politics. But again, it's a comedy. Is the journalist the protagonist? The journalist is the protagonist. A recent was it an Oscar movie or a? It was. was it, decidedly not an oscar movie i'm pretty sure it was like a gigantic bomb post-covid pre-covid pre-covid yeah and it's not bombshell that's an oscar movie no it's much more of a comedy than bombshell it's much more of a typical comedy than male bombshell. star or female star it's a love story so there's both oh interesting it's not long shot it is long shot that's number three it, he's not <laughs> yeah. a journalist in that movie no, he That's is. Bullshit. He works for like Slate. No, he's a speechwriter. Yeah. No, but like he was yeah. a journalist and then he gets fired. Okay, yeah. well, this list is bullshit. Yeah, I know. It's but, already stupid. So but, number but, four is the guys from Spotlight. Yeah. Number three is Seth Rogen. What's some, okay, give me, give me a hint from number five. Long shot. you, Longshot's a good movie, by the way. It's it colossal. Is. It's really funny. Huge. Came out at like the worst moment in time. Yeah. That movie like that could possibly come out. Number six is from 1981. Well, wait, number five. You skip number five. Oh, number five. Number five is also a recent film. Um, pre or post-COVID? Pre-COVID. Okay. Uh, it's a real life. It's a, it's a, not necessarily a biopic, um, but. But it's not. The main character is real. But it's not Bombshell. It's not Bombshell. It's a blonde actress. A blonde Or an actress, actress that has been blonde in films. An actress that been blonde, but Florence Pugh has never played a journalist. Older than uh, Florence Pugh. I know. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, younger than Kate Blanchett. Uh, probably younger. Okay, I'm, closer in age, but probably Oscar-y movie. I think this one wanted to be an Oscar movie. Is it a 2019 movie or is it older? It's than a that? 2018 movie. It's a 2018. It clearly wanted to be an Oscar movie. Is it? It's not. You were never real. Uh, can you forgive me? No, it's because she's a journalist in that one. It's much more of a like. This is a journalist doing real hard journalism. God, I can't even remember what happened in 2018. Um, it stars a person who is in a film that ended up on a Mount Rushmore from last week. Stars, but but not Affleck. No. So it stars. Oh God, I got to remember what her Mount Rushmore was. Mount Rushmore was. Okay. Oh God, what was first position? Fuck. You can't remember. I can't remember what was first. Posi- what was his first pick? Oh, uh, okay. Hint for that one. Um, let's see. Kate Blanchett 
has been in a movie that I mentioned on this podcast okay. that oh, no, that no, no, director no, no. made. No, no, no. I, at this point, I need you to just tell me okay. what was the Gone first... Girl was his first Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Yeah. So, oh, it's Roseman Pike. It's yes. the Roseman Pike movie whose name I can't remember where she has the eye patch. It's a private war. Yeah. That's what it's called. Thank you. Yeah, that's number five. Yeah, that's a movie I did not see. I forgot about Gone Girl. That's how tired I am. We've been doing this for two and a half hours. <laughs> number six is from 1981. <sighs> I would say like historic all-time actors are the leads of this movie. Historic and they play with people from real life. All-time actors. It's not a Pacino. No, it's a different. The male actor is in a different ballpark than Pacino. 1981. Yeah. Is this Oscar-y? I'm sure it is. Um, I don't wait. Let me. It's a movie that like it, it it reads as an Oscar movie. Let me just make sure it was nominated for something. Um, the female actor is kind of in that Pacino ballpark, though. Yes, it's this not was, Reds. Is this it? did win. Yeah, it is Reds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See that these are not things I would think of as necessarily straight journalism, but of course they no. are. Yeah. But I'm, I'm I'm in like all the president's men brain. Number seven. Number seven. If you're in that brain, you're just not going to get this at all. It's okay. a horror movie. From the 90s. Well, it's a franchise, actually. It's a horror franchise. Huh. The yeah. whole franchise is the pick. I they have the whole franchise. I have not it's seen... Gale. It's Gale Weathers. <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck yes. It's Gale Weathers. Holy shit. Yeah. Let's fucking go. Number seven from Scream. Courtney yeah. Cox. Uh, number eight is an actor that I would love to do on this podcast, but not necessarily for the 21st century. Uh, um, that's the conceit of this podcast, buddy. Uh, yeah, not Bruce, not Arnold, not no, no. Tom. I don't think we've talked about. I don't think we've not ever De mentioned this person. Maybe. Oh no, we have. We mentioned this person during the Tom Cruise uh, episode. Max von Sydow. No, they weren't in that movie. We just they came up for some reason in conversation. Nicole. No. To man, Tom, Tom, the Tom, movie is Jack, from the nineties. Uh, Jack Nicholson. No, you're you're pretty 90s. far off. I would say this man is like very handsome, known for being handsome. You mentioned a movie that they started not too long ago. We did to compare it to Veronica Guerin. Paul Ver- Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Did not make a movie about a journalist. No, no, this is the star of the- <laughs> I know Greg Araki yeah. just scored in Levitt, but he's a 21st century person. Um, Michael Douglas. What are other no, movies that compare for are getting pretty far to? off? Okay. Um, this movie uh co-stars Julia Roberts. Pelican Brief. Yeah. Did I mention Denzel? Denzel? I did, of course I did. Yeah. Fuck. Probably, that's a boring ass movie, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't put the list together, man. <laughs> um, number nine is like an all-time romantic comedy from a long time ago. Down with Love? No. I know that's not what you're saying. Pillow Talk? No. Um, am I <laughs> somewhere between 1959 and 2003, I'm assuming? Older than that. Older than two- 1953? Yeah. Oh, oh, fuck. I, this is not a romantic comedy. That's why I would balk on that. It's what happened one night. No. It's the later it's than that. My fair, it's, 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 a, it's, my, it's my girl Friday. Yes. Yeah. 
His Girl Friday. His Girl Friday, yeah. Yeah, Cary Grant it, and it happened Rosalind one night. Russell. It happened one night is better than His Girl Friday. I'm sorry. That's true, and he's also a, a journalist. Yeah. yeah he okay, is. there are two that are tied for number ten. Oof. Both of them are fictional. One is a thriller. The other one is, the other one is kind of how best to describe it. It's like a nostalgic piece about music. Interesting. It's it's almost famous. Yeah, almost famous yeah. is one. And of them. then the thriller is, of course, Venom, <laughs> <laughs> because he is the greatest. Boss is an evil person. I have been sitting on that this entire game. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, number ten <laughs> is. Uh, I have a game. I have a game for you after we're done with this. By the way. Yeah, number ten is a person that i would love to see work with colin farrell he is a british actor ewan because they've done that um he's a british actor who probably deserves to be in a lot better films but has been relegated mostly to franchise work over the last is he in marvel is he in marvel no not in marvel different type of franchises potter no dc no jeremy irons one that you love like a franchise that you love mission getting very close mission impossible getting very close the only franchises that i love are mission impossible and scream maybe one that you love talking about bond yes yes i love i love thinking about Bond. ray fines no (laughs) Um, daniel craig yes daniel craig played a journalist movies from 2009 no we didn't that's fake you're making this up no i didn't make it up no what is the movie the movie had a nine plus minute long red band trailer that leaked on the internet no the movie is from 2011 and it's the girl with the dragon tattoo oh is this the oh you're looking at the original oh yeah yeah sorry man that's okay i screwed Um, that one up that's okay so Right on this list. Number the original 10, came out in 2009 and they made the remake in 2011. Yes, that's, that's how big I thought it the was. original came out no. in like 2006. No, 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 that's no, no. Wild. That was that was literally overnight. So let me just run on this. Tie at number 10 was almost famous in Growth the Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Keep going. Number nine is uh Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell and just, just give me the just give me the movies. Yeah, just give me number the eight is the Pelican Brief. Number yep. seven is the Scream franchise. Number yep. six is Reds. Yep. Number five is a private war. Number yep. four, Spotlight. Yep. Number three is Long Shot. That's ridiculous. Number two is All the President's Men, and number one is The Killing Field. Okay, Connor, yep. this is my this is my final game for you. Oh, another one of those eleven journalists just listed that by yeah. you. Which movie would be most improved if the journalist in question wasn't said Eddie Brock? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one would be most improved? I don't know. Long shot would be pretty hilarious if Eddie Brock was the. Uh, let's see. Does Eddie? Wait, 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 wait. Here's my question for you: Is Eddie Brock formed? Like, does he have Venom with him? No. <laughs> so, like, just... we're just inserting Eddie Brock. That is that is an amazing question. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Okay, so let's go down the list. Killing Fields and All the Presidents Men, I don't think would capitalize on the inherent uh, comedy of. Uh, you're you're wrong because the answer you is think? All the Presidents Men. You think it's All the Presidents Men, but which you know one would he be playing? It doesn't matter because either scenario is funny. 
because it's funny to think about either of them having to work with Eddie Brock. And you don't that's think, why you don't think it would be insanity if Mark Ruffalo was actually Eddie Brock. That would it's also funny. be great. I'm also loving you knew. the idea. You yeah, knew you didn't know anything did about it. <laughs> uh, I love the idea of him on the almost famous bus. Um, that would be amazing. That's a good time. Eddie Brock and the Pelican Brief would also be pretty <laughs> incredible because he's so like like Washington in that movie is so stoic and so suave that replacing him with like gross pizza eating Eddie Brock would just be like pretty incredible. By the way, you're totally wrong. If we do Denzel in this podcast, the interesting reason to do Denzel is to start is the 21st century. I would love to do like just the 90s run. I get that's interesting. The the thing that attracts me to Denzel as a potential topic vis-a-vis our structure is starting at the top. Yeah. And being like, how do you keep going after that? That's what that is also about. true. Yeah. Well, I I figure the way we do the podcast is like if we were to do 2000s well, Denzel, we could always go back at another point in time. We can figure something do, out. Yeah. Um, We've Eddie got Brock and His Girl Friday with yeah, I, a I little obvious. Max, a little obvious. I don't think obvious. you're maximizing that. Uh, the guy from the girl with the dragon tattoo that he's already kind of like Eddie Brock. To exactly. With. That's yeah. why it's not funny. And then almost famous. I think yeah, you're right. I funny. think it's Ruffalo. I think it's I, Ruffalo. I think it's replacing it's Ruffalo, Ruffalo or Fugit. Yeah. Is the right answer. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really, I don't know if I have anything else to say. Yeah. I think I'm burnt yeah. out. We went way longer on this than I thought we were going. Well, to. you're going to have to cut a lot out. So yeah, you're we'll probably going to cut like a half an hour out of this episode. Uh, you, we'll see. All right. Uh, yeah. That was Veronica Guerin. Uh, join us next week when we are going to be talking about the motion picture SWAT, hopefully with a very special guest. I'm excited. Uh, until then, uh, rate, review, subscribe. Connor, plug the Instagram. It's at above the title pod. Go follow Connor over there. Go and, UConn Huskies. Uh, My dad went to UConn. I'm a big college basketball fan. Hope they sure. win. Sure. Don't know what that means. Aren't they already out? No, yeah. they're in, they're, they just made it to the finals, oh, which I'm is tomorrow, paying. which will be already have happened by the time this episode comes out. I'm not paying attention. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Talking about SWAT. Until then. Fuck the carceral state. Stop it, I'll pack the lies. I can feel it coming.